Welcome to Liberty After Dark. This is the wonderful Patrick Smith. I've watched a bunch of your stuff in the past. I saw you on Liberty Late Night. It's great. Um, very eloquently spoken, Anarchist. Uh, has, runs Disenthrall, which is probably what you're most well known for outside of your business, I'm assuming. And uh, lots of great content there. If none of you guys have seen it before, make sure to check them out on Facebook as well over at Disenthrall and not Governor Patrick Smith. Um, you want to go ahead and say some opening words about yourself? Anything you want to share? I am a capitalist. First and foremost, I uh, entrepreneur in the tech technology space, uh, automotive, power sports, marine, RV, cryptocurrency, privacy, you know, kind of all over the place. Um, that's kind of my love is uh, developing new products, bringing them to market, competing and making money. That's awesome. Uh, my second love is uh, parenting and philosophy and activism. I guess that's three, but uh, it's kind of all the same thing in a way. Um, so I do, uh, I, I try and bring philosophy to as many new minds as I possibly can. Uh, I try and do, you know, street activism uh, when I see that will be beneficial. I'm sure we can get into all that. And, uh, you know, we did the the Libertarian Party, not governor of Texas, run mm -hmm. um, about a year ago now. So it depends on I, – I, I just kind of spread myself around like a slut. And uh, so <laughs> what you know me from might differ wildly. So, <laughs> Hey, there's nothing wrong with diversifying, right? It's like finances. Helps get exposure out there. Helps everybody see you, what's going on. So that's keeps, cool. Keeps it interesting. Yeah. Yep. So um, – I know that you are definitely a part of this this activism. And so today I came with you with the idea that I would like to talk about things that we can do in our individual lives to promote liberty, right? So we get these big grand ideas all the time. I'm sure you see them. I'm sure you get the questions. Everybody likes to think about, well, how do we completely change the U.S. government overnight so that we're in capitalist utopia tomorrow everybody is in a voluntary society which is not a noble or not by any means a, a bad goal i would say if we could if it was more realistic i'd say we should be shooting for that primarily but i do like and i think it's healthy for people to take a step back and look at what they can do in their own lives to promote liberty what they can do day to day to help themselves come up with uh, ways to to promote and not even so much promote, but just to live the lifestyle they want to live. And uh, I, I, I know that you have your own ideas on this. I've seen you talk about them before, and I felt like it would just be great to have you on here to discuss that. And we will also talk about some activism things that do involve larger scale politics. But really, I have one question that I want to start this whole thing off with, and this can be a bit of a divisive issue amongst even ANCAPs as their own niche. Uh, what is your opinion? Oh yeah, what, what's your opinion specifically on the implementation of agorism as a form of monetary exchange with the goal of minimizing government interaction? I do have opinions on this, but because but good, they're good. but they're sectioned off into certain types of agorists because there's a lot of different types. Um, they're yeah. kind of independent thinkers, mm -hmm. so uh, you know <laughs> there are the type of agorists that just want to live their life as peaceably and you know with as least government interference as possible. And, uh, you know, so they structure their life to, where possible, go out of their way to conduct their transactions with other people, you know, 
in the black market, you know, or, you know, <laughs> off, off the table, let's say. So like, you know, and that could be something as simple as like, you know, you need your air conditioner replaced in your house. And so when the guy's there giving you an estimate, you'd be like, okay, I understand that's your price, but you know, what's the cash price? You know, what's that just, you know, kind of asking that question, Hey, I don't want you to have to pay taxes on this transaction. Can we cut a deal for a cash price? Just little things like that. Every day of your life can go a long way towards agorism. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, and maybe you can focus me in on where you want me to go with this because it's a huge spectrum, but on mm -hmm. the opposite extreme, there's agorists that will look you straight in the eye and like tell you that, you know, if you pay taxes, you are somehow culpable for the crimes of the, the people in government, you know, because your tax money is being used to murder people in other countries. So yeah, I have big foundational issues with those types of agorists um and I, I would call that like tax victim blaming something along those lines so uh, if you want to focus me or you know where do you want to go with that well i just was going to say those people need to read a little bit more spooner i think that would help them out a lot but the uh when i say the term agorist i i use typically agorism the idea the philosophy of agorism i use pretty much the textbook definition of it which is the minimization of the state through voluntary transactions um and in promoting a free market i think those people that you referred to at the end are definitely um are, are reading something that i'm not at least or are adding personal beliefs into the philosophy which you know every philosophy can be tailored to your specific outlook depending on how far you're willing to go with it i suppose but um, really what I'm focusing on is the primary framework of it. But either way, it just because of that negative connotation, including people who are like left-wing agorists as well, we didn't even bring them up, but that that whole, those groups, those communities can, can sometimes give agorism a bad label. And I like to try to step back and say, look, we can't necessarily allow the whole idea to be hijacked just by a couple minority fringes. So what, I mean, you know, that's kind of where I'm looking at this from. If that makes any sense. Yeah, from my perspective, agorism is just, it's like, um, it's very simple and non, uh, not, it's not complicated. It's just literally take, take the steps that you can to avoid being taxed and controlled and regulated and, uh, in your day-to-day -day transactions. That's it. In your day-to-day -day associations with people, do what you can to uh, avoid those things, avoid coercion from government and control from government and licensing and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's it. it now, there's people that take it too far to say, well, you have to make every transaction <laughs> exclude government. Obviously, that's um, not possible, but, uh, but it would be, it's also to like, sell, to, to like re-victimize yourself a second time. Like, the first victimization is when the government taxes you and, and forces you to behave in a certain way to conduct business with other people. The second way that you're victimized is you victimizing yourself by going and living on a floating, uh, raft in the middle of the ocean to avoid any interaction with the government at all. Like, you're just extra hurting yourself in that way you're removing any you're removing your own liberty at that point just to, uh, it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face so i think the, there's a balance in there and the balance is really just like you know live your life in a way that makes you happy and uh it's really like a don't be afraid uh like agorism to me is like a be less afraid to look for the gray market solutions like be less afraid to ask for the cash price to you know 
to like when like I need a, a water heater right now, and I go to Lowe's, and I'm like, hey, uh, that water heater says it's seven hundred dollars. Uh, how much will it cost to have somebody install it? And they're like, well, uh, it's $200 plus $100 for the permit and to get a licensed person to inspect it or some, something like that. It's an extra $50. So like, I'm like, okay, well, how, can I just get a guy to come install it? And then, nope, we don't do that. It's like, <laughs> just, just having, just taking that extra step. Like now, so I, so I left and now I'm going to spend a little time looking for somebody that might not care so much about having a license permit, blah, 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 to install a hot water heater. It's just little stuff like that. That's all it is in my, in my opinion. That's a really good example. Um, I was trying to explain the concept to my father, who's a constitutionalist and you know, he's not really, he's pretty, pretty stuck in his, his conservative ways, but I was explaining concepts that I am trying to implement in my life. And then I talk about on my show and stuff like that. And, uh, he was like, well, you know, this whole agorism thing. He's like, you'll never use it. And I was like, you remember that time we went to Home Depot, picked some guys up in our truck, and they helped build the fence for us? He was like, well, yeah. And I was like, sounds sounds a little bit like agorism to me. <laughs> That's it. Ta-da! <laughs> That's it. It's it's like the opposite of permission culture. You just kind of get things done. That's yep. it. As long as all parties agree. Ask. Yeah. Yep. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, this is one of the places, too, where I think a lot of times, you know, it's good that you give examples like this because I've, I've heard many different people say, like, yes, agorism is great. We should all do it and without really giving any idea how. So it's really I appreciate the fact that you, you know, kind of went out to say, like, don't overthink this, guys. You know, this is not some kind of national economic model that we're talking about here. This is interactions between people. You could use this every day if you wanted to. Uh, if you if you wanted to, you, with another example just from today, because people don't think about this stuff, and I, you know, I, I, you have to kind of retrain your brain to look for these opportunities. Today, I got the hair did, mm -hmm. and when uh, when they were done, we walked up to the cash register, and you know, she, she swipes my credit card and hands me the receipt, and it's got the spot for the tip. I'm like, hey, do you have a Venmo where I can tip you? Because I don't want you to pay taxes on this. And she's like, oh yeah, sure, here it is. Boom, I tip her on Venmo. Done. Look at you that. Know, just, just. Little stuff like that. It's easy. And, you know, of course, in the notes for the Venmo transaction, I'm like, taxation is theft, you know. <laughs> Google volunteerism, you know, just little stuff like that. It's easy. It doesn't – it takes, like, 10 extra seconds. They don't pay taxes, and you expose them. Like, their brain never thinks about not being above board, and you just expose their mind just for a brief moment to, like, oh, this guy doesn't want me paying taxes. Wait a second. Should I not have to pay taxes? It, that's all it takes. Just live your life in a principled manner and people will wake up around you slowly. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've never done the Venmo thing. That's cool. That's a cool idea though. But I have, I have gotten to the point to where I only tip in cash. I say, this is your money. You understand that, right? Yeah. Gotcha. So, you know, if yep. they want to put that in whatever system that they have, that's up to them. But, you know, I told them to put it in the back pocket. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, certainly. Yeah, I, the specific example was unimportant. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the owner of the place will watch them, and if I hand her cash, then they'll, they'll demand that they record that. But, you know, if I Venmo them later, it's less, less visible. Yeah, so, that's all. Yeah. I got gotcha, you. Yeah. That was just an example. Yeah. Still. Okay, uh, they're still asking me for, for me to turn up your audio a little bit. I got one more trick up my book. All right. And uh, we'll try this. Crank her up. All right, go ahead and speak for me real quick. Mic check, one, two. All right. Mic check, check, check. Should be about five seconds in the chat before anybody hears it. 
no, you're fine. I, I want to make sure you guys can hear this stuff. Um, we do this for you. You know, I, I want, I want him here so that you guys can hear him. Otherwise I would just talk about all this stuff. Okay. They said it's looking better now. Cool. Um, sweet. So we were talking about agorism, implementing that in our own lives. What do you think? So we have this, this idea now that, uh, about volunteering, right? You hear this all the time inside of libertarianism. Get out, volunteer, time, money, whatever you've got, donate, all these things. But you see a lot of people who are maybe not apprehensive, but maybe just uh, apathetic to actually doing so. And I get it. We all live busy lives. We all have uh, we all have our own priorities. Not everybody can volunteer every weekend. Not everybody can give up their whole paycheck to donate to people. But uh, something I've been trying to do more specifically, because I have noticed that I've been probably a little more clammy than I should have with, with some of my money recently, is I've, uh, or, you know, within the last month or so, is I've, I've been trying to focus on looking at these ideas as something that isn't, if, if, I, if I truly believe in them, then they aren't really questions of, of if, but when, in my opinion. And so what do you think about the idea of, seeing volunteering and contributing to your communities and donating and doing these things is more of a is more of a, a an ethical obligation to your community than a really a a, a nice frill of the the idea I, I wouldn't call charity an obligation sure um, yeah that's probably a bad word for it honestly i think you're you're right there but I, i'm sorry i'm I, I when you when you train yourself in philosophy you get very yeah. annoyingly precise with words so no, that's i apologize fair. that's fair that was a that was um, definitely not the right word to use there but please continue so like what's your what's your what's your question i mean yes i i agree with your premise that um especially as we get more and more a higher percentage of our income stolen from us uh, in taxes, we have less free time as a result to do charitable stuff. We have less resources to donate to charities as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand that it's difficult and it's not for everybody, and that's fine. It's okay. There's there's not pressure to go out and do this stuff. At least I I would never pressure somebody. I would say but, it's, instead um, of instead of uh, uh, instead of the word you know I would say imperative maybe maybe a more or an ethical imperative that that we. Show that these things are possible, especially as people like us and the, everybody in this chat room who are very big believers in expanding the idea and 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 the principles of the philosophies that we are a part of. You know, I'm. I just wonder if, and this is more thinking out loud than anything. If if we do have some kind of ethical imperative, if not a necessarily a requirement, to to be a part of these things and to to put them more to the front of our mind than perhaps we do at the moment. I think um, I think a lot of the objectivist thought on happiness is right on. Like happiness comes from living virtuously, mm -hmm. um, and so when you do charity for uh, for the purposes of living your virtues, uh, happiness does come from that. So when I do force time into my schedule to go help people because I want to. Um, I don't want to just speak my virtues on YouTube. <laughs> I want to go out and, and put them into action. I want to turn the wheels and put them into motion uh, for multiple reasons. One, like if, if you never try this stuff in real life, how do you know it works? How do you know it's yeah, valid? So uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it. Um, also, uh, a big part of virtue is that um, 
and you know this is a throwback to old school Molyneux from years ago, but I think he was right on back in the day when he said that your capacity for virtue is uh, limited or equal to the amount of adversity you face in living your virtues. So, for instance, um, if you said slavery is wrong and you set about your activism of freeing the slaves today, you know, how virtuous is that going to be? Slavery isn't a thing. Everybody already agrees with you that slavery is wrong and evil and you shouldn't do that. And so uh, proclaiming that slavery is wrong today, how much virtue is that? Is there in that? Well, probably not nearly as much virtue as there would have been, you know, hundreds of years ago to stand up and say, slavery is wrong. This is immoral. This is evil. Free the slaves today. Well, not only would that have probably been a dangerous thing to say publicly in some places, uh, but that danger, that adversity makes room for the virtue. And so doing the hard stuff that is virtuous is where real, like, thick levels of happiness flow from. I don't know if that was even on the topic you were wanting to talk about. But no, yeah. no, no, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty much in the same area. I mean, that's, that, that definitely hits to what I was saying. You know, like, you, like I said, you know, I, I personally believe we are in that situation. And I, depending on how, you know, I don't know how involved you are in politics. I know a lot of anarchists like to stay away from it. But uh, the, depending on how these next election, elections go, it could be more imperative than ever. Uh, either way, I don't think we'll be in a great spot, but, you know... <laughs> And so it's, it is kind of, I've never heard that from Stefan Molyneux. Um, you know, I was not a, really a follower of, of his philosophy in, in the slightest before really the last year or two. And, uh, you know, I have my nitpicks. Who doesn't? But uh, that's definitely... Well, the, the only good stuff to be found is two years ago and prior, pretty much. I mean, there's some, there's some bursts every now and then. But yeah, anyway, I, we don't have to get into that. No, no, it's <laughs> fine. Yeah, I've, I've talked about this before, too. Um, it was like one of my gateways and now I'm, I kind of look back and, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool hearing that. I, I really enjoy that way of, of looking at how to frame the idea of, of the virtues, like you said, from the whole objectivist side of things. So what do you say to people who are, we, there's a, there's a, what's the best way of putting this? I'm trying to make sure I use my words carefully here. There is a string of... Oh, no, I've made you nervous about your words. I'm not, sorry. <laughs> not particularly nervous, but you're right. I, I should oh, okay. be more careful right. with my word choices. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a niche niche string of people who run across the whole anarchist movement. They don't necessarily have to adopt the term collapsitarian, but I've, I've run into resistance before from people who say like, okay, yeah, we, there are these things that we can do, but none of it matters because we're fighting this oppressive entity that will just either squash you, take you to jail, or make what you're doing illegal. So we have, we have to start with the root problem. We have to tear down everything. Otherwise, none of what you're doing matters. What, what do you think about, you know, I know it's very pessimistic, but is there any merit to the idea that they're, they're spreading there? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Where okay. do you want me to begin? Uh, we got um, plenty of time. <laughs> so I think you have to maintain perspective uh, uh, on where we are in the, in the history of the species and realize that, um, you know, it, it took a thousand years to go from um, uh, a god king to a, a Roman Republic. And, you know, it's only taken a few hundred years 
to go uh, to f- from uh, the Roman Republic, which wasn't terribly representative, to <laughs> kind of a representative democracy. And so it's accelerating, but we're still on like a a time scale of generations. We're not on the time scale of weeks or months, you know? So I think uh, Stoicism has a lot to say about stepping back and understanding the, the truth of the reality that you're currently in. And the truth of the reality that we're currently in is that, you know, while we are accelerating towards freedom, and, and I think you, and I don't think you can argue that we aren't accelerating towards freedom, because if you back out to the 4,000 year view, you see a trend line that where people's agency, people's control over their own bodies and lives is getting closer and closer to them. Like I said, you go back in time, you got God Kings, and then you got like the Roman Catholic Church uh, became the government or whatever. And then slowly and slowly, agency moves closer and closer to the person. And right now we're in the representative democracy phase of tyranny. And, you know, so <laughs> it will, it, uh, where do we go from here? Well, we probably localize the government uh, and we localize that democratic tyranny until you know, it, it, it the agency moves closer and closer to the person. And certainly at every step, if you zoom out far enough, you'll see that it's not a straight line. You know, it, it'll go and then it'll back up a little bit and then it'll continue going. And, it'll, you know, there's blips along the way. Hopefully we're not coming up on one of those blips, but uh, <laughs> we might be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like you have to set your expectations in line with reality. And this stuff doesn't change in one generation. It doesn't change usually in four generations, you know? It's uh this is this is a long process and and I think realizing where you are allows you to set your expectations which allows you to not get so emotionally jaded in the moment like this is my place in reality and the best thing I can do to make it better for my kids and my kids kids is to do x y and z and you can you kind of get zen about it like and and agorism is a part of that you know like I'm going to do what I can to not be robbed from and show people how to live free that are around me and uh and I'm going to accept my existence. Like, even, like, let's be honest. Like, most of the space dust in the universe doesn't even have thoughts. And, you know, we're <laughs> lucky to exist uh, in this state where we can think and consider our situation in life and have agency and have, quote-unquote, rights and, uh, and you know, know that we exist and consider philosophy and all this stuff. We are incredibly lucky, even in the state that we are now. So, again... Uh, stoicism i think has some good things to say that just kind of help you become at peace with where you are in life and realize that you know you even though there's bad things and bad people that do actively control you and coerce you every day of your life you still have a lot of room for agency and and um, and a lot of room for joy in life uh so that's one of the thi- one of the many things i have to say about i guess collapsitarians <laughs> but um Let's see. What else do I have to say about it? Did you have any thoughts on that before I keep ranting? You know, interrupt me. Feel free. Well, it's not so much of an interruption as maybe just a slight redirection on the same idea. By the way, I love the the talk of mindfulness. It's really, I think it's really important to, especially nowadays that we have this culture of like the instant gratification. I think mindfulness is really important to living a fulfilled and happy life outside of just, you know, always looking for the next greatest thing or trying to be your own celebrity. Sometimes you do just need that perspective. So that's really good. Um, what I was going to say though, is it, you know, I kind of was born in this meme culture of libertarianism. That's how I was introduced. Um, I was a constitutionalist before that. And eventually memes started making me ask questions because I'm weird like that. 
and now I'm here. Wait, wait, wait. You, so, so memes converted you. Memes converted me. So, I mean, memes didn't. You are the first one I've ever heard that said they came from the memes. Wow. It was. It's true. <laughs> I, special. I came from the awesome. memes. I, I won't say that memes wholesale converted me, but memes well, made me say, that. "Is there? Is there any? Is there anything to this?" You know, yeah. I was at a I was at a position right. in my political beliefs where I was open to new ideas, where I was looking through all the all the data and, and learning and just reading and trying to figure out where I was. And then I ran into this crazy page called Liberty Memes, and they were posting all this wacky stuff. And I'm like, well, let's see what this is about. And well, year and a half later, here I am. I've just gone full blown anarchist. So, you know, there was a transition phase where I was a minarchist for a little bit, and I was like, anarchy is ridiculous. Yep. And so now here I oh, am. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of growing. But no rational person didn't go through the that's ridiculous phase. Exactly, right. <laughs> that's, that's just your indoctrination reacting, right? You, you know, your indoctrination hit, hears about anarchy and it, and it just spits out, oh, that's, that's crazy talk. You know, like, yeah, it, that's normal for sure. I remember what, I, what else I wanted to say about okay. collapsitarian. That's fine. Before yeah, yeah. I lose it. Um, every time in history when a government has been collapsed... Uh, a new government forms, and it's almost always worse than the one that came before, because the hearts and minds of the people weren't changed towards liberty before the collapse came. And so the, I, I think it, it is profoundly dangerous and retarded. Sorry. Uh, no, no, you're fine. Intelligent. This is an NSFW <laughs> to, uh, show. <laughs> to try and yeah, to try and collapse the structure around you before having changed enough hearts and minds to keep it from becoming worse than what it is now. Uh, that's that's the only other thing I would say. No, that's fair. I I talk about this I idea that I have a terrible name for called transitarianism, which means that, and as far as my politics are concerned, I will vote for you if you will make demonstrable, meaningful change. You don't have to align perfectly with me. You don't have to be an anarchist. You don't have to be my perfect candidate. But if you will make a measurable, meaningful change towards liberty, we'll be friends. We can we can make this work. Mm. Um, that's a very small list of people, but that's my criteria instead of being completely devoid. Because I feel like any progress is better than no progress, in my personal opinion. But yep, uh, I take a I take a probably more um, harsh. No, that's not the word. Um, a very staunch there. Let's, mm -hmm. let's go with staunch. I take a staunch position on voting that, um, uh, I think if you believe that voting has an effect on the world, meaning if your vote counts, if your vote has the power to win an election, which I think, you know, you can make a case for, uh, depends. I think you own, you own the effects of your actions. And so if you think that the action called voting has effects in the world, then you, at least partially in, in uh, you know, with all the other people that vote, own the effects of that vote. And so if you vote for Obama that then goes and bombs a bunch of innocent children in another country, you have to uh, own the effects of that vote. So I am very, very careful with this thing called voting. Um, I never want to be party to the crime of 99% of the politicians that have ever existed. So 
I will rarely vote unless it's, you know, like for a, re a perfect example of a, of a safe vote is uh, like a referendum that decriminalizes something like there. There's no chance really for victims to come from that vote. You're just saying, no, stop doing evil. And that's that's a pretty safe vote ethically. Um, there's very like my attempt at the not governor campaign in Texas was um like uh, uh, it was an it was an experiment to see if it was even possible to run a non-aggression principle compliant campaign because i initially didn't think it was possible i thought at some point along the way i would be faced with some kind of decision where i had to convince people to you know do something unethical violate the non-aggression principle in some way or myself would have had to sign on to do something like that and so it was an experiment to see if it was possible to provide a sort of candidate that promised to not make the people that supported me with their vote culpable for any crimes, um, any non-aggression principle violations. I wanted to see if that was possible. There's, there's almost no one out there trying to run NAP, what I called NAP compliant campaigns, which is, you know, I will, uh, basically my campaign wasn't about like winning and holding office. My campaign was, uh, we, we had a community of people that got together and, and wrote a, um, declaration of individual uh, Declaration of Individual Independence, which is one of the most powerful documents I've ever read. It uses kind of the language and feel of the Declaration of Independence for the country, but removes all the collectivist language out of it and removes all the appeals to invalid authority out of it and puts I and me and, you know, by my power, by the power of my volition, you know, I will separate from uh, invalid coercive governments. Really powerful document. I would suggest anybody read it. And you can on notgovernor.com. Yeah, I'll post uh, a link to so, it on my Facebook. Yeah, so my my sort of campaign was just kind of bringing that document to the world. People that you know supported me were voting as activists. That's, that's what I wanted. I didn't want people to vote for me because they thought I would win office and then bring them freedom because that teaches the wrong Lesson, freedom doesn't come from voting. Freedom comes from your consent not being violated. And no politician can win office and provide you freedom. That's, that's just not how freedom works. That's not how voting works. That's not how government works. And that's the wrong message to be teaching people. So I was very clear when I asked people, you know, if you want to vote for me, vote for me as an activist to give me a larger platform, a, a more visible podium to stand behind to, to bring the message of actual liberty to as many people as I possibly could. And uh, I, I mean, it, it, I, I proved, my, my experiment proved that it was possible to do. It was possible to run a NAP compliant campaign, at least for government, uh, at least for governor, at least in Texas. I don't know if it would be possible for president or any other offices, but it's quite an experience. That's a, Learned a lot about the Libertarian Party along yeah, the way. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> I, um, uh, there's there's a reason I try to make the distinction between small L and big L libertarians. <laughs> uh, sorry. No, I've you got memes on a button board over here. Oh, you're fine. Yeah, I've got my own over here. See, that's a, it, it's a very interesting perspective to take on voting, and I don't have any issue with it. I do think voting is is mostly personal. Um, now, if you tell me you're voting just party lines, I'm gonna I'm gonna question you on that. You know, that's kind. Of, but if you have a a justifiable reason for why you vote the way you do and you have a a method to the madness i th I, I usually don't challenge people but i'm curious what so 
you bring up this idea towards your philosophy of voting. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm positive you are familiar with Spooner um, and his idea of the defensive vote. What do you think about, about that perspective of the idea that if I don't vote, somebody else is going to vote in my stead or at least have a better chance without my vote and it could curtail my individual liberties. So I have an obligation. Fantastic question. Go. I'm so glad you brought that up. Go ahead. No, sorry. No, no, no. Continue the setup. That's really it. I just, you know, you're bumping and I'll spike it. Don't worry. (laughs) Just, just, uh, you know, curtailing your individual liberties. And then next thing you know, you're locked up in chains and they're, you know, free to go. It's metaphorically speaking. So. Yeah, I think um, Spooner is one of my heroes. I've, read every sentence I can find that he ever wrote. Uh, And I think the only area he was wrong on was uh, a defensive vote, like all votes being defensive. Um, And and I can make the case. So uh, if, let's say you're walking uh, down a street and, you know, it's you and there's other, you know, random people walking down the street with you. And uh, a guy comes up, you know, points a gun at you and says, give me your wallet. And, you know, you pull out your gun defensively and, you know, you fire six or seven times and you hit three or four innocent people and the guy. You know, what was that defense? So a vote... Technically, but, you know, (laughs) you also hurt other people. So it was an act of... It was both, but... Well, no, no, no. Like, sorry. If you intended, you know, like, as... Like, if you knew... Mm -hmm. If you knew when you fired your gun that those innocents would also be hurt along with the guy. Like, a better better example would be, like, you know, you... you, uh, you're running a, a gas station and somebody comes in to rob you. And so you set off a suicide vest and blow up everybody in the store. Like you, you know that what you're doing will c- create new innocent victims. Yeah. You cannot call that self-defense. You're creating new victims. You, it's not self-defense if you're creating new victims. That's kind of the headline of what I'm trying to say here. And uh, voting outside of kind of what I described creates necessarily creates new victims. It helps somebody achieve power that they then use to hurt people now just be so the the lysander when he described it described two people two groups of people you have this group of people voting you know sending their vote bullets at you and so you join this other group of people to send some vote bullets back the other way in self-defense the problem is that there's three groups of people there's these vote bullet firers and there's these vote bullet firers. And then there's these groups, this group of people down here that don't vote and don't consent to any of it. And they're not firing bullets at anybody. But unfortunately, group A and B are firing bullets at those people too. And so joining one of the evil groups firing vote bullets at the innocents is not self-defense. So if you can find a way, like I said, uh, very carefully to use your vote bullet in a purely defensive way, like referendums or NAP compliant candidates, then certainly there's no problem. So like other people will say all vote, like anarchists will say all voting, you know, is statism. Well, that's not true either. Like the, the, the truth is like, you know, the effect of your action is what you're culpable for. And if the effects of your actions, even engaging with the state in a thing called defensive voting for a referendum or a NAP compliant candidate, well, if there's no victims, there's no crime, right? So you just got to make sure there's no victims. It's a very difficult charge to accept, but I mean, you make a fair point. It's uh, something I'll have to consider a little bit more. I'll have to take some time and stew on that because I've really been a big proponent of the defensive voting idea. And uh, like sure. I said, I'll definitely have to sit down and think about that one a little bit, a little bit more. Maybe, maybe I took it too much on face value. 
but um, well, I, no, it, I don't blame anybody for following Lysander Spooner. He's, he's <laughs> so good on so many things. Uh, that's my only point of disagreement with the guy. It's just that nuanced of you know we own the effects of our actions, and if those effects are to cause somebody to gain power that hurts somebody, you cannot shed that culpability. So I know we're getting slightly off topic, and we'll come back around, but I'm enjoying this line of discussion here. And yeah. to continue on with the idea My of, time is yours. We'll go yeah. wherever you want. To, to continue with this idea of Spooner, you know, he talks about, like we said, the replacement of the ballot or the bullet with the ballot. Um, you know, I know there's going to be somebody who listens to this because I get these emails all the time from from very estranged people that I've made my position pretty clear on who I like to call the boogaloo types who will say, well, this yep. is all pretty clear. I can't vote. You know, none of the things I do matter. So we just got to boogaloo guys. We just got to do it. You know, we, we, we have to, we have to lead the charge because if anybody else does it, we'll wind up with statism. And uh, I've made myself pretty clear in my position of the boogaloo, but do you even think that let's say I'm going to craft a scenario for you just real quick and you can branch off from there however you'd like, but Worst case scenario, okay? Beto becomes president. First thing that happens is he bans all private health care and makes everything public, increases your taxes 50-fold, and takes your guns. Would you still, Would you consider that a boogaloo-worthy America? What is happening? You're, you're, okay. you're going to make me make a statement on this publicly, aren't you? I would like you to. <laughs> uh, so there are things that you shouldn't talk about. Um, you, there are things that you shouldn't be on record talking about. That's the first thing I'll say. So, mm -hmm. you know, I you know I I will never say what I don't believe, but I won't say some of the things I do believe sometimes. So, I, I think innuendo um, is a powerful I, tool as well. You know, I I think um, you know I, I will say this. So, let me be clear. <laughs> uh, if it makes you more comfortable, I will so, say the fact no, that I, I believe there's I'm a not lot. A, I think that's I'm not uncomfortable, but okay. I, I want to make the case on both sides. Okay. So um, the way I'll do that is by saying, uh, you know, if um, a, a government agent that's in charge of making sure grass in a neighborhood comes by my house and says my grass is too long um, and hands me a ticket, uh, are they technically threatening me? Absolutely. Yeah. Are they threatening me with jail? Absolutely, because if I don't pay the fine, the city escalates to a court, and then the court turns into warrant, and the warrant turns into cops that will absolutely arrest and cage me. You know, so is this a real threat coming from this little nerd in a little stupid little suit going around taking pictures of the length of people's grass? You know, is that a threat? Absolutely. Would it be wise for me to behave as if that were a threat in this current day and age, you know, and, you know, cock my shotgun and tell them to get the fuck off my lawn? Probably not. That would probably be the worst thing I can do as an activist. And that's what I'm saying. Like, as an activist, we have to measure our actions, weigh the risk versus reward. What is the most, how can I make the world the most free out of interacting with the, the length of the grass? government agent you know shooting him <laughs> while you could make an ethical case that that you know it would probably be you can okay look i'm just gonna say to on the extreme end someone could at least try and make the case that that might be justified because he is threatening you with physical violence there's an argument there's a nap compliant argument i won't say that there isn't you know I, would i but buy on the it? other hand you know if you did that 
would the world become more or less free? Would people look at a freedom fighter's actions and say, I want more of that? And and say, that guy's got it right. I, I like what, you know, I like that. Let's get more of that in the world. Hell no. no. The average normie is going to see that action and run the other way. And they're going to condemn it. And they're going to ostracize anybody else that, that even talks like that guy did. You see this recently. Like, every time there's some kind of shooting, everybody sifts through every little detail and nitpick every little detail of the person's life and be like, okay, they were a member of the NRA, they were, you know, an Atifa, you know, and they just start collectivizing these ideas into groups of people and then shunning everything. Uh, so I think we learn a lot from Martin Luther King. So you have a group of people that were discriminated against, no question. No, there's no argument that they weren't discriminated against by the government in ways that would absolutely ethically justify violence. Right? I, I don't think we can disagree on that. No, 100%. What did Martin Luther King do? He took those people and told them to never be violent. He, he marched them up the street by the thousands through dangerous neighborhoods where they knew somebody was going to assault them and, and hurt them. Literally, they knew going into their marches that somebody was going to get hurt because the areas they were marching through uh, were, were very racist. And they would actually literally start fights and throw bricks and hurt them as they were walking. And what did he tell them to do when they got hurt? Don't respond. March through. Show the world. Oh, what was the quote? It was like, the world will know the, the truth of our circumstances by the, uh, by the depth of our suffering. Literally, just by, by marching bravely and suffering in front of the world, he should, like people watching them being beaten and harmed and attacked made the people watching sympathetic to their cause. Which is the opposite. Like you, like you can see the opposite in Antifa today. Like they think they're doing the lads work, you know, fighting fascists by being violent asshole children in the streets. But all they're doing is showing everyone, like, like all the people on look are, are watching this and being like, these people are insane. They're violent. Like, so let's say, and this is not the case, but let's say Antifa was right. They're doing the exact wrong thing to convince anybody that they're right by being violent. So even if the violence was justified, they are doing the worst fucking thing you can do to convince the world <laughs> of your cause. Martin Luther King had it right. Read him. Study what he did in that movement. He, he not only was peaceful about it, but he knowingly and knew that they were going to be punished and injured and used that to convince people. And so if, if you're going to start the boogaloo, what's going to happen is what's, what we see every time somebody's violent. Everything that you've ever been associated with in your life will be shunned and people will, people will back away and cringe away from whatever it was, even if you were right. That's, that's the best, the best I can say to it. No, that's, that's great. I think I agree with everything that you said. I personally believe that there is, you know, sometimes for a joke or for a meme, if I know someone is just playing around, you know, ha ha ha, boogaloo, whatever, the big igloo. Does everybody know what boogaloo is? That's like the, the meme, right? Yeah. Should, everybody, we, should every, we describe what a boogaloo is? We've talked about it before, but uh, the, the okay. boogaloo is the idea of the, the, we could say forceful. They would argue it's a defensive reaction to violence from the government, but I, I don't have a problem sure, saying yeah. the, the forceful overthrowing of what they believe to be a, what is a tyrannical institution. 
And so that would involve whether you call it a civil war or a revolution, however you want to look at it. It is, it is a violent conflict um, taken apart by sovereign citizens. So that is the, the fundamental idea of the Boogaloo for anybody who isn't aware of it. And, you know, like I was saying, I, every once in a while, you know, it's funny. Someone makes a meme, haha, you know, Boogaloo warriors, whatever. But I think there's a dangerous amount of flirtation with the idea, uh, almost a fetishization or romanticization of the idea of the Boogaloo that I don't really appreciate. Maybe I'm too much of a pacifist for that, but there, there, is, a, there is a large subset of the community that really looks at the idea of the Boogaloo and says like, yeah, I would love a Boogaloo. And I'm like, have you ever, have you ever seen someone die before? Have you ever, you know, <laughs> have you ever killed anybody? I don't, I don't think this is actually what you want. I think this is what a modern culture, there is some, culture makes you think, but there, there is something happening. Um, there is something changing there. There people are getting, they're reaching a new point of fed up with this, with the, the status quo. This is the third conversation I've had on this in the past week. Yeah. And before that, I had never, people hardly ever asked me about this stuff. Um, I mean, people are thinking about, and rightly so, where is the line? When is enough enough? Uh, like, the Revolutionary War was a boogaloo. Yeah, it was, 100%. Should they have done it? I mean, it's kind of hard to say they shouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> right? Definitely succeeded, yeah. In so its intended there goal. is apparently a time and place for a boogaloo. <laughs> like maybe. I, said, I, I think uh, there is but a line. No, may, maybe not. Maybe we have to wake enough people up before we do that. Otherwise, we get another government. Like, the right now, America is the largest empire the world has ever seen. Well, that resulted from a boogaloo before enough people were woken up to freedom. Oh, yeah. So, I, again, I think, I think that's the counter-argument to boogaloo. Is if we don't have enough people woke first... Uh, you know, if we have, and, and Larkin Rose will say this, if you, if you have, a, if you've changed enough hearts and minds, the boogaloo becomes unnecessary. The government just gets ignored out of existence. And if you don't have enough hearts and minds changed, the boogaloo will just result, you know, put you in a position that's worse than probably what you started with. So I don't, I don't know that a boogaloo is, is necessary anymore. Even the founders spent over a decade priming the people for this revolution before they even started it. You know, John Adams, people like him were writing these pamphlets, were writing about the tyranny of Great Britain before it even started getting that bad. And then whenever everything had finally gotten to the point where they said, okay, everybody, everybody's pissed off. Now we can do this. There were still loyalists who stuck around. So I, you know, is it possible to win everybody's hearts and minds? No, but I do think that there is a case to be made that you have to at least have the majority opinion of the public. Because if you don't, I mean, and I hate the 51 over the 49, but let's, if we're talking some kind of macro politics scale like this, you can't be 5% of the population and say, we're going to free everybody, you know? No, I, I think 5 or 10% is, like, first of all, what is, what's the voting percentage? Like 30% of the public votes? Exactly. Like 30% of the public is engaged with it? And so... Let's say that you just need a majority of the voting type people, the awake, the people that mm -hmm. take action to modify their life. You know, you get even a third of those people. You probably have enough to begin ignoring the government out of existence. Exactly. The rest of the people will follow along with the freedom that they see other people getting. Um, and a lot less people oh, have I to have die to... if we do that. But I, I'm not on. I'm not on board with 
the uh, I'm not on board with the boogaloo because like, like I think I've made the case like uh, clear enough. Like yeah. if we don't wake enough people up first, where it's going to be not only is a lot of people going to die in the process, but we're probably going to end up worse than we started. Um, and if we do wake enough people up, the boogaloo, the the revolution becomes unnecessary. So I don't think violence is the answer. I think waking people up is the answer. That said, the boogaloo memes are cathartic, and they it's like a pressure release. For the people that feel day to day their 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 control and their oppression and their constant you know threat and tax and like they're they're being stolen from they're being regulated and controlled at, at, at every moment of every day of their life and you know it just feels good to drop a spicy meme about the boogaloo because like you know sometimes that'd be really nice you know <laughs> just to be like I've had enough <laughs> and so you know if the if the memes like are a release valve for that. Yeah, meme on, man. Like, fine. Yeah. Like, I, I, people need a, a, a valve for that, right? M like, meme it out. Yes, your, your commenter, Nightmare, says meme it out. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, we, I, I really think the, the trend line of history means eventually the world will be free. I don't think that's even arguable, really, if you look, if you zoom out and look. Um, but you also have to realize where we are in history. And so if we want the world to be free for our kids... The strategy is to parent better and live peacefully and wake people up. And I think I like I th we're we're playing a long game here. We're not playing a short game. And you don't play long game with politics or votes or or boogaloo's. You play long games with parenting. And you you raise children that are awake, that um, that don't that that don't enter their existence with an involuntary authority in their life called a, 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 a strong authoritative, authoritative parent or whatever. You, you raise them like equals, uh, peacefully. You don't control them uh, like most parents do. You raise them to expect a world that doesn't forcibly control them every moment of their life. And that way when they hit adulthood and somebody tries to control them, they will instinctually, naturally know that that external control is invalid and, and out of place and wrong. That's a long strategy that takes generations, but that is how you actually change things by changing children, by raising different people. No, I mean, I completely agree. And I just have one more comment to make on the Boogaloo. And I actually kind of want to continue on with that similar line of thought, kind of tying it back to earlier as well. But, um, you know, I've, I have openly made the statement numerous times that gun control is bad ethically for hundreds of reasons and why you can't permissibly take weapons from people who have done nothing wrong in their entire lives yada 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 blah 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 i'll be honest at this point the ethics are, are great and that's more motivation than i really need to make that claim but it scares me to death to think about the fact that if if some like i said if beto became president and the ar-15 was illegal tomorrow People are going to die from that. People who didn't have to die are going to die. And I hate the And rightly so. Yeah, I mean, uh, I want to be clear on the ethics of it. Like, if, if it, like the cops that do the red flag confiscations that get shot and die, I'm like, oh, well, you shouldn't have fucking shouldn't done have done that, that, idiot. No knock warrants? <laughs> like, I have like, no sympathy for you. I don't have sympathy <laughs> for knock warrants. But... Uh, and so if a per Like, that... The, the optics of that situation are kind of different than the traditional boogaloo optics, right? Like, you have a guy that's peacefully existing in his house, and the cops show up to steal his property because some politicians passed a law. That The optics of that's different. Like, maybe it's less insane, you know, for a person to fight back in that scenario to the average, to the general public. But still, there's still going to be people that are be like, well, he should have just, you know, 
turned it over and sued him in court or something, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's, um, but look, like you have to, you have to decide where your line is. My line is going to be different than your line for when is enough is enough. Because I'm, like, look, I've been talking about like this Zen zoom out, you know, take a, take a stoic view on life <laughs> and realize your place in the thousands of years of the species of humans. But you know, let's talk about the other side. You only live once. You're going to be alive for X number of years more from today. And you need to choose what you stand for. And you need to decide where your line is and live how you want to live. And, and uh, you know, have your life come to an end how you think it needs to, when you think it needs to. Uh, because it's your life. You only live once. So, like, I, I like people that are principled and are willing to put action behind principle. Um but if you're if you're trying to change the world, you violence is never is almost never the way. Like, I, I'm trying to think of examples in which violence really uh, turned out well on a on a zoomed out scope. I mean, there's brief, there's brief, like from a from a group of independent people, like not government on government violence, but like Revolutionary War might be an example. Um, a lot of people were free of a government for you know a hundred years or so. Um, I don't know. It's it's sticky. It's not like yeah, I can give you a blanket answer either. You know, like if, if there is an issue, if there is a line that that you know maybe should be someone's line, it's having your guns taken because that's that's a watershed moment in the in the history of a population. Yeah, like you don't come back from that. It's not like a, a populace has ever been disarmed by their government and then a generation later re rearmed. Like that just doesn't happen. Like that's a right you don't get back once you lose. So maybe that should be the line. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm not necessarily making a statement either way. More is the observation that if there was ever, in my opinion, going to be something that sparked a boogaloo in my, in my lifetime, that's probably going to be it. Americans have made it extremely clear, especially gun-owning Americans, that most of them, anyways, that you aren't going to take their guns. You're going to take them over their dead bodies. And I, I hate, I just hate the idea of a bunch of people thinking that they're doing the right thing and passing some kind of legislation. People, there are people out there who legitimately think they're doing the right thing and passing some kind of anti, you know, weapons confiscation or pro weapons confiscation legislation. And I, all I can think of this in, in the back of my head is like, okay, how many people are going to die from this? A dozen, a hundred, a thousand. Because it's not, it's not going to just be everybody hands over their guns, and it didn't have to be this way. I guarantee you it will outweigh any number of mass shootings over the last couple of years. I guarantee it. Put me on the books, people. Quote me. I promise if it passes, it will be way worse than any mass shootings. So, that's more of my warning. My concerns being aired. Well, at least unlike <laughs> mass shootings, at least the people getting shot will mostly, well, will hopefully be hopefully. people doing the immoral stuff. The yes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's, it is. It's, it's tough. I, I, I can't tell somebody not to defend themselves. That's no, 100%. If you are an, an, an adult who understands the non-aggression principle and how to implement it, and the non-aggression principle is you're, you're, you're complying it in your actions... You won't see me out there telling you that you I, you, I might say you morally made the wrong call, but ethically you're as consistent as you need to be. You followed the nap. So can I say what? I don't like what you did. Sure. That's fine. Anybody can say that. But to say that you are wrong in doing so is I, you know, if, as long as you're nap compliant, then you, you're what I usually say to people when they ask questions that are difficult to answer like this is that the nap gives you all of the tools 
You understand it. You're an adult. I, I can, I mean, and nothing I tell you is, is going to be like, hopefully you're not making your decision based off of what I say, basically. That's what it comes down to. Because your life is more important than what I have to say. So, And the, the cost benefit is different for everybody. Like, mm -hmm. I have children. Uh, exactly. So they have to become my life's priority. And so if it came down to me being disarmed or me not being a father to my kids, I would choose to continue being a father to my kids. And, uh, and that, that's the choice I made. I, when you choose to have children, you have to put their life above your own. Uh, other people without children might have different, different cost-benefit analyses that would result in Beto's, uh, Beto triggering a boogaloo for them. So, uh, you know, and and it's it's a it's an amazing illustration of the the blind spot that people have to government violence. That Beto's Beto's statement in that debate, and then uh, that Texas politician saying, "Well, my my AR fifteen's ready for you, Beto," and yeah. then like the That's entire left <laughs> freaking out and saying, "You're threatening Beto, a presidential candidate," and I'm sitting here screaming, "He threatened us first! Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> People don't see Beto looking you in the eye and saying, I'm going to take your property, peaceful person. They don't see that as a threat because he's doing it through the magic spell system of the government. It's people crazy. don't see it. And so when you respond to a threat with a counter threat, people are like, you're threatening him. Well, he started it. Tell him to stop threatening me and I won't threaten him back. Like these people don't see. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. For, I, I, I try to avoid being the guy who's like, oh, those silly sheep, because I, I, it wasn't more than two and a half years ago, maybe a little bit less than that, that I was in the same position of the, the, the quack like a duck, waddle like a duck, you know. Maybe it's a little bit yeah, more. Never than forget. Now, never forget that. Never yeah. forget where you were, because it's easy. Years go by and you're and you start you start like human brains work like that. They just they other people like people that have things wrong. You'll just start to think of them as different than you and never don't let that happen. Exactly. They're normal yeah. people. They're just like you. They just don't have wisdom that you currently possess. That's all. They just need the right convincing and everybody has their own path. So I am going to kind of take us on a different tangent. This is great. I'm so glad that we got to talk about this, but I kind of want to bring it back to where we were before. Hopefully I'm not going to get red flag now. So oh, we'll well, <laughs> I probably am already on some sort of list because I've taken pictures with my guns before and they're on the internet like four years ago. So yeah, here we go. Red flag. But the, so, you know, you mentioned having children. We've talked about kids a couple of times now and parenting uh, in this conversation. And I kind of wanted to bring this back to where we started and perhaps maybe a lighter note. And do you consider... Uh, homeschooling your children to be a form of promoting your anarchist, libertarian, volunteerist ideas? And and by the way, on top of that, do you homeschool your children? And if not, why? Um, so most of the activism people see me do is marching in the streets, politics, YouTube videos, mm -hmm. conversations on Discord server, talking about principles. But my real activism is is principled parenting that's how i'm actually changing the world and so what i'm doing is is um getting ready to start producing a lot of content around parenting because i i'm telling you this is the key this is how we do it we raise people differently because we when you enter the world as a child you accept all humans all creatures when you're born you accept the reality with which you're presented 
You know, if, if you're born and the sun is blue, you will never consider why it's blue. The entire life will go by and you'll be like, well, this, the sun's blue. That's normal. That's just how we function. And so the conditions you set up in your home fashion how they view the world for the rest of their life. If it's abusive, they will expect abuse and they will feel uncomfortable when not being abused by somebody. That's, that's the, the life story of many people. If it's peaceful and principled and ethical, then when, when somebody confronts them that isn't peaceful and ethical, they will stand out like a flashing red flag beacon and they'll know to avoid them or to be cautious of them or to be ready to defend themselves against them. Changing how you parent is, is just, it's everything. If you want to change the world, if you're, play, if you're not playing the short game, if you're playing the long game, you have to parent principle. My talk, um, ah, man. So uh, this is kind of unofficial, let's say, at this point, but mm -hmm. I will I'll maybe be speaking on the main stage of Anarchapoco this year. And my talk will, this is the first time I'm mentioning this to literally anyone, will be on what I'm calling principled parenting. Because for a long time, people have talked about peaceful parenting. And, um, and I don't want to give too much away yet because I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to talk about it yet. But um, when people ask me what I consider myself, I, I usually don't say anarchist for many reasons. But one of the reasons why is that telling somebody you're an anarchist tells them what you don't want. You don't want rulers. I tell people I'm a voluntarist. That tells people what I do want. There's two sides to that coin. I don't want control. And I do want voluntary relationships with everybody in my life. Peaceful parenting tells people what you don't want, what you don't do to your kids. You don't hit them or uh, violate their body property or their consent. What I'm trying to introduce people to is the idea of principled parenting, which is going to tell people what you do do. How do you raise your kids? What environment do you create in your home that fashions how your children will see the world for the rest of their life and their children's 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 children will see the world for the rest of their life. Uh, and, and, and it will affect every relationship they ever have. Uh, so for example, uh, and I don't want to get too far into this because it's going to be my talk at Anarchapoco and mm -hmm. I'm not even near done with it yet, but just to give you a quick TLDR on it. We have property rights in my house. I own things, my wife owns things, and my children own things and we respect each other's property. If my, my kid owns a tablet, if my kid does something wrong uh, or you know, just does something, I don't just like go up and ground him from his tablet. I don't have that right. It's not my property, it's his property. Uh, and so when, when he damages something of mine, we sit down and talk, well, you, you, know, you damaged my property. We need to talk about how you're going to make restitution for that. How, you know, what are you going to do to maybe earn money or something to pay me back for the property that you damaged? We, we have, um, what other principles? Um, dispute resolution is a big thing. So, you know, if we don't want people to depend on this all-seeing eye authority of government to handle all their justice and dispute resolution court system, um, we have to uh, not just be peaceful, not just not hit our kids. Like, that's what we don't do. Yeah, we got that. That's, that's like 101 ethics. Got it. Okay. But <laughs> what do you actually do? How do you actually teach your kids to resolve disputes without depending on you as a parental authority figure? Well, we have this thing called uh, mediators. 
And anybody in the house well, can be asked to be a mediator in any dispute. And you know, right now, right now when my kids are younger, oftentimes they're asking me and my wife to be the mediator just because we're um, more adept and are, we're better at it because we're older. But um, oftentimes my wife and I will maybe go to a kid and ask them to be a mediator in some dispute just to give them the experience. And so the, what the mediator does is they become sort of like the lawyer of the kid. And so, like, you know, my daughter will come up to my office and she'll knock on my door and she'll come up and say, Dad, I wanted donuts. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Why didn't you have donuts? Well, Mom wouldn't give me any of her donuts. And I'm like, well, you know, did you ask why? And she said, yeah. Can you be my mediator? And, like, and that, that's what she says right now. She's like, can you help me make a deal? And so that's how they think. They think in terms of making deals <laughs> and awesome. compromises to get what they want. And so I'll stand up for my dial stop, whatever I'm doing usually, if I'm not some kind of super work mode. And I'll take her hand and I'll walk downstairs and I'll be like, Mr. Smith, my client, Dagny Smith, has acquired my services <laughs> in the matter of Dagny Smith v. Mama Smith uh, in the matter of the donuts. <laughs> my client would like to make a deal to have, how many donuts do you want? And you know, so we start hashing it out. You want two? You want five donuts? Okay. My client would like five donuts. What say you? And so, like, you know, my wife will come back and be like, five donuts? Are you crazy? If I give her five of my donuts, she'll be sick, and then I won't have any donuts. And so I'll be like, you know, I don't think she wants to give you five donuts. Uh, how about we ask for one? And my daughter would be like, okay. And I'll be like, okay, Mrs. Smith, my client would like one donut. And, she, and, my, and my wife will be like, well... Uh, you know, I've been asking her to pick her prop, you know, her toy properties up off my living room floor for the past hour and she hasn't done it yet. Uh, so I will offer her one donut if she picks up her toys. Uh, Dagny, what do you think? Is, is that a good deal? If you pick up your toys, she'll give you one donut. And my daughter will be like, yeah, that's a deal. And I'll be like, Mrs. Smith, my client has accepted your offer. And so like, <laughs> that is how disputes are resolved in my home. And my kids are, are, let me tell you something. My kids are like five and six years old right now, and they can already negotiate better than most adults I meet in my life. The world is not ready for my children. <laughs> they are going to be able to negotiate their way in and out of everything. It is, uh, it is quite a sight to see. And so that's what I'm talking about. This, we have to talk about what we do want in parenting and and this is how we change the world so that's kind of the tldr of what i'm hoping to put together for my talk at anarchapogo no that's awesome my, my my tentative talk i'm not announcing anything right now that's what i'm saying yeah exactly i i gotcha copy uh that is yeah that's really crazy and you know i i will just be completely transparent i've been ridiculed for this idea before because i'm supposed to have thousands of libertarian babies who are anarchists and who go out and make more anarchist babies. I, you know, I'm still young. The idea of parenting is not something that really is uh, alluring to me at the moment. Hope maybe later on down the road that will be something I'm more interested in. But I am interested in the process of parenting. Not so much being a, a member of the, the practice, um, but I definitely think that there is a huge value in having children, raising them correctly, Happen, you know, raising them ethically, because once you once you look back on how parenting is supposed to be done, and you look back at your own life, it it really can. You know, I love my parents to death. I love my mom. I love my my stepfather, and they did the best job they could with the resources that they had. But I think 
if I had been given, say, a childhood kind of like yours was, I can definitely see how those would have more directly transferred into skills that would be applicable to me as, as an adult, as a volunteerist, as, you know, all sorts of things. And I think there's a lot of value in that, a lot of value. So I commend that. Yeah, so I'm giving them skills that they that will probably make them give them superpowers when they're adults. But here's the activism. Here's where the rubber meets the activism. This is the long game. <laughs> when my kids hit 18 and somebody comes up to them and says, here's a ticket because I thought you were going too fast. And my kids say, well, what do you mean a ticket? And they're like, well, you know, I, I've decided that, you, you know, the, the law says that you're only allowed to go this fast on this road and I'm going to demand that you pay 200, it's probably going to be $500 by that time with inflation. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm going to demand that you pay me money. And they're going to be like, well... You know, how about I just, uh, how about we make a deal and I'll just agree to, you know, maybe go slower next time. No, no that's not how it works. You're going to show up to this court date and you're going to give us money because it's the law, because I said so, because that's, that's the system, that's the, the government says so. And Mike, how do you think, Mike, how do you think a person raised how I'm raising them is going to think about that? Very poorly. Unlike... Everyone, the way they're raised with an authoritative parent that tells them what they're doing and why they're doing it and, and, and requires that they ask permission for everything that they do from their, in every moment of every day, they're going to hit 18 and they're going to realize that their parental authority figure has just been replaced by this government authority figure. In fact, they're going to expect there to be an authority figure outside and for the rest of their life because that was the reality that they were born into as children and if there isn't one that would make them feel uncomfortable if there isn't a government controlling them that would be the weird thing that would be like well that's something's wrong here nobody's setting rules for me my kids are going to be the opposite my kids are going to hit adulthood and they're going to be like, who the fuck are all these people trying to tell me what to do? And like, I'm trying to make deals with them. And they're just like, no, here's a gun. Give me money. They're going to be like, that's fucking evil. What's wrong? Everyone's crazy. We have to change this. That's how you change the world, folks. That's how you change the world. I'm, I'm telling you the secrets that I've, that I've discovered. That's how you actually change the world. No, 100%. I'm like, I'm like tearing up here because I'm, this is like, I'm, this is important. But. It is a powerful <laughs> idea, right? It is 100%. I mean, it's the same idea. It's, this is why so many people fear the idea of like raising gender neutral children. And it's like, no, you're not a boy, you're a girl. You're not, you know, you get to decide. You know, you can think whatever you want about that morally, but I think, you know, we have reason enough to believe through science that there is a significant amount of of influence that your environment that you're raised in has on you as an adult you know i'm sure i would not be nearly as open-minded and introspective of a person if that was not fostered into me through my childhood that's one thing i definitely love especially from my mother if i wanted a book about whatever it was i mean she bought me this like 20 year old encyclopedia set once because i kept asking her questions and she said stop asking me questions find it in the encyclopedia so you can get your answers and you know that kind of it's the little things but i definitely believe that what you were saying about you know building building the tomorrow through your children that that being the activism that is incredibly powerful i don't think people should underestimate that at all is you're literally creating potentially an entire generation plus of these volunteers, these anarchists, these activists, these people who just want to live their lives and who don't need that power structure in their lives 
who haven't been been raised into a world where it's required. And I think, like you said, that's so important, so very important. That's, that's what, the secret. That's that's the long game. If you really want to change the world, you do it with your children. Yeah. So I do want to, again, kind of take a step maybe to the side this time. And we've talked about things that you can do kind of passively in your life, more actively, very actively, in fact, with raising children. It's a very active process. But um, so, you know, like you said, you're, you're, you are known to a lot of people by your involvement on the march on the street types of activism. Uh, there's been all sorts of different sort of, you know, whether it's a convention, whether it's an actual march or protests in front of City Hall or however you want to conglomerate as, as your particular group. Do you have, as someone who's been a part of quite a few of these things, would you have any sort of guidelines or, or recommendations perhaps for either someone who wanted to get started getting into this kind of activism or someone who it just, just is interested in it? things like, like that. what kind of activism the, what the actual like on the streets marching uh you know being ah. a part of protests stuff like that the other side of activism i guess you could call it uh well first set your expectations like i, I start here with everything it seems like these days i'm i'm like i'm so zen i'm sickening myself no but uh <laughs> like set your expectations if you're if you think you're going to uh get ten thousand people together to march the streets and and government will listen to you and change some law like fucking don't <laughs> like the, the the government um has learned to allow people to bitch because it 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 lets them vent and it kind of it uh, disarms their anger and then they just go back to their job and keep paying their taxes uh so the government will let you march in the streets all you want Typically, the government will even defend your right to do so, e even if you're marching to dissolve the government. They, they'll, they're not going to stop you because stopping you would send the message that they don't want sent to the general public. So, um, make sure that you're not marching to change the government. Make sure you're marching for another reason, like to let people exert their self ownership in in a real world sort of way. Uh, a, the best example is, is our guillotine march recently. We um, we built a guillotine. This was back during the time of the Yellow Vest stuff over mm -hmm. in France. We built a literal guillotine in my front yard, and we got a bunch of people together to open carry rifles, and we marched, we pushed this guillotine. Well, we, we, we marched behind this guillotine all the way to the biggest courthouse uh, in Dallas, and we pushed that fucker up the steps of the courthouse, and we sat it right in front of the courthouse. And then we had a big rally where we had speakers talk about freedom from government and coercion right in front of the Dallas courthouse in front of a guillotine. And did we think that doing that was going to scare the judge, you know, the, the judicial system into, you know, prosecuting less victimless crimes? Hell no. Like that, that's not the government doesn't care when you march. But what it did do was it got a lot of people out on the streets to put their feet and their ass where their principles were. And they marched with weapons in public behind a guillotine. And then they stood and listened to inspirational liberty speeches. It, that helps people. Like that, that bolsters the spirits. And it unifies people behind the principles of liberty. That's why we did it. And it, we were wildly successful in doing that. And then as a, as a side goal, we also 
uh, had a speaker talk about jury nullification, which is a very practical. That's a short. That's a that's the short game. You know, like jury nullification, those kind of tactics. I don't know if you've talked about that on here much, but oh, yeah. the ability to be on a jury and say not guilty can literally free people from victimless crimes. Like today, that's a thing you can do today. And so we had a guy talk about that. I saw that, so that that's... news spot from the, the, the lady who came to interview you guys there on the news and asked about jury yep. nullification. I was like, oh, my yep. God, is this actually happening? Is, are they really that's asking? You know, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, a, that's a success. The event, was, the, the event was worth it probably just for that, you know, minute of news exposure. So um, other street, other street activisms, like you have to talk about the feed the need. Uh, that's that's the quintessential. That is the best example of street activism I have ever seen in my entire life. For many reasons, um, the main reason is that no one realizes that it's illegal to feed the homeless in Texas. Yeah, and so when you tell people that, I've never met a person and I told them, that, and then being like, "Oh yeah, we know." I'm from They're Houston. Like, what? So... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I almost so got a ticket you, you, for it in Houston. I just, I couldn't believe it. I bought a guy a Subway sandwich, and this cop was like, don't give him that. I'm going to have to write you a ticket. And I was like, you're going to have to do what to me? Excuse me, write sir? Write me a ticket, you <laughs> fucking tyrant. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so we it's an issue that no one thinks is um, immoral. Like, I don't care if you're far right, far left, far crazy. Like, we're feeding the homeless. Like, no one is going to be like, oh, no, you shouldn't you should do that. And so it's the perfect issue to use to to make a, a stand against the government with publicly. And so what happened, I don't know if your viewers are familiar with this event. Maybe you've talked about it before. Um, uh, we can go into it as deep as you want. But the headline is that, you know, we have a bunch of people open carrying rifles and guns and weapons while feeding the homeless illegally in Dallas. Um, a church group in other cities in Texas have been arrested when they've tried to do this. And we've done it six years in a row, and the cops leave us the hell alone. And I wonder that why is that is. The point. I w um, wonder why. We, we talk about the line in the sand we've been talking about earlier today. And, um, and we talk about the optics of when, you know, you should boogaloo. Well, you know, if you boogaloo over a speeding ticket, the optics of that are going to be entirely against you from the general normie public. But if you boogaloo over feeding the homeless, the world is going to be like, why the hell did you try and stop those people from feeding the homeless? Are you insane? That is evil. Like, not everybody. There's plenty of bootlickers, sure. Yeah. But uh, at, least the, at least the optics of that are going to be much more in your favor. So, um, I mean, it's, we're doing it again this year. It's going to be uh, middle to end of December. It's going to be Feed the Need number seven. And uh, it's going to be awesome. So, come on out if you're in the area. Yeah, December. I'll be, be back one. home. I should. Dallas, right? We where do you, you live in Dallas? Well, I live in Houston, but oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're in Dallas. Yeah, not not that terribly far of a drive. Maybe I won't have to come down. That'd be awesome. Yeah, come on out. Yeah, yeah, and so that makes the point. Like, you know, people are like, "What? What's the Second Amendment for? Is it for hunting? No, it's for feeding the homeless. When feeding the homeless is illegal, that's what the Second Amendment's for. <laughs> like that, that there is no clearer message. Like, you should stand up to your to an immoral government. When should you do it? Oh, when they try and stop you from feeding people that, that are hungry. That's 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 a good way. I I it's I haven't found people disagree with me yet. <laughs> like that's what it's for. Uh, so it's a it's a great event. And the other reason why the the feed the need event is so cool is because 
and, and I have to shout out um, Don't Comply, the Don't Comply crew. They're the one that invented this and put it together the, and, and help run it every year. Um, they bring together all different types of activists for one brief moment of changing the world. And this doesn't usually happen. Like, you have your philosophers that philosophize, you have your uh, you know, media producers that make videos, you've got, you know, charity people that go and help people, and you've got street activists that do guillotines in the streets and stuff <laughs> like that. But this event brings everyone together. Like, we have your militia types there running security. We have uh, we have the charity people organizing all the resources to bring to feed people. And we also, we go back out at night and we actually give tents to people sleeping on the ground. Like, it blew my mind the first time I went out and saw this. I had no idea that people literally sleep on the on the concrete at night in the winter. Uh, and so we go out back out at night and we give them tents to sleep in. So they're slightly warmer tents and sleeping bags, things like that. Which, last after the event last year, uh, I think Dallas might be the state. I don't remember if it was the city or the state. Made the tents illegal. So there's going to be an additional point of contention this year that there wasn't last year. Good. Should be interesting and exciting. Uh, but... Um, yeah, so it brings all the different types, the charity types, the activist types, the media, the video people, the, you know, everybody comes out and chips in in their own way, and we do a really good job, and we make a really important statement. So, it's a, it's a great event. A hundred percent. I, man, see, that's that kind of event right there. We, where, where I'm from, Houston has a fair share of activism. It's a very large city. There's usually some kind of protest going on somewhere about something, and most of what you see is, you know, They've got their fences on the side of the road saying, you know, aliens are, are abducting your brainwaves. You have to stop them or whatever their hot topic issue is. And every once in a while, you'll get libertarians or of all shapes and sorts, mostly big L's coming out and, you know, they'll go and they'll do a march somewhere or they'll stand out in front of a building and talk about libertarianism <laughs> and why you need the third option and whatnot. But Really, I have never seen something in my area besides just recently after I'd already left for something like that. Something like a, I mean, you have to, when you're doing these kind of things, you know, this, maybe not everybody shares this opinion, but you to a certain extent have to be outspoken about what you're doing. Because there's a certain amount of time, a point where you're, if your activism is almost too passive, it's not even really activism. It's just instead of saying words on the internet, you're saying words in public. That's cool. You got everybody together. But I think when you're feeding the homeless armed against the law, making a statement about that, that, that has so much more impact on people, people, you know, forget the institution. They, they probably don't care. They probably hate you for it. Honestly, it has probably very minimal impact on what they're going to do, but it has an impact on people. And that's something that I think we need to focus more on. We're not trying to win over the government. It's if, if you are, you're, you're probably a little bit, Focusing in the wrong direction, in my opinion. We have to win the people. And I hope that's what this conversation has made very clear. So we keep coming back to the fact that you can focus on institutions as much as you want. But really, institutions are nothing without their people. There is no freedom in politics. And I'm making that as a hard line statement. There is no freedom to be found in playing politics. And I... And I I've been as as far as far into that process as one can reasonably get to make that statement. Uh, you achieve freedom by changing the hearts and minds of the people around you. You achieve freedom by uh, by curating the people in your life uh, and making sure that they're good people, that are principled people, that understand basic ethics like the golden rule that the non-aggression principle is. 
that's the path to freedom. Uh, agorism by, you know, just kind of living your life uh, as, as free from coercion as possible. Um, now, the activism, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the feed the need type stuff is some of the best activism I've ever seen. Yeah, that's definitely top tier stuff. Uh, well, I think I checked. I have a list here. I'm making sure I checked all the boxes because I had it definitely had some things I wanted to ask you about, but we had some awesome tangents in there as well. Is there anything sure. you specifically wanted to talk about today? Because I've talked about all the things I wanted to talk about, but is there anything you had in mind that you wanted to share? Uh, I, I'm good. We can talk about whatever. Do we have any questions? Uh, any? Oh, yeah, that's or, good, too. Like, I mean, I, I've been I've been struggling. So I, I go on long philosophical uh, insanities <laughs> occasionally. So like right now I'm, um, there's, there's, there's two areas of philosophy that I don't think are, are, are well-rounded enough. And I've been thinking a lot of free will lately. So, um, we can discuss that if you want. I, I, I have, I have arrived at a position that I really hate. So have I, I did an entire episode on consciousness and free will and I hate what uh, I had yeah? to say. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't you start then? What, okay. what do you think about free so I was on this probably, oh, by the way, Liberty Late Night says he can't remember what your favorite color is. <laughs> what? Liberty Late Night, they asked you what your favorite color was on their show, and he said he can't remember. So would you please remind him? Uh, silver, black, and blue. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so they're actually here. David and Mary are both in the chat right now watching, so they're big fans. Hey, guys. Yeah. Um, so... I had done an extensive amount of reading and I started with some more introductory texts like uh, Consciousness by Anaka Harris, which is, I say introductory texts, that is such a fantastically comprehensive overview of everything else that I've read up to this point. Uh, and I've, I've gone a whole, all sorts of different ways with this. And I think the two questions are, are more closely intertwined than people like to go with, but specifically free will. I have come to the conclusion that based off of all of the science, all of the rationalization, all of the evidence that we have today, there is nothing that we can measure, show, or expose that says that we legitimately have entire autonomous free will over our bodies. And that's not an opinion that libertarians like. They hate it. And, and, it's, and it's a shitty position, isn't it? It is. But I have to be, <laughs> I have to be honest. You know, I can't. So I'm not going to lie about it. So, like, here, here's here's what it is. It is what it is. No, here, here's what it is. Like, our consciousness runs inside of our brain. Do we disagree on that? Like, I'm kind of talking to your audience, maybe as well <laughs> as you, but, like, you have to kind of start with that question. Where does this consciousness run? What is the hardware that exists in reality that your consciousness runs on? It's like software running on hardware. And so if we exist in our brains, which, you know, is kind of obviously where our thinking happens, right? That's kind of where the consciousness happens. That hardware exists in reality. That means that that hardware is bound by the laws of reality. That means that um, there's nothing random and magical between the neurons in our brain that that um, provides something so, so, that provides free will. And then you have to ask, well, what is free will? What does that mean? Free will is not random. Like if if free will was random, then we'd be just kind of picking a direction randomly and walking in it yeah. at a random moment of every random day. Like we don't make decisions randomly. Free will is not random. Uh, so a lot of people think of free will as like um, will that is unfeathered, uh, unfettered by outside coercion. Um, but I don't really think that's what most people actually mean by free will. Like 
being able to make a decision without being threatened, I don't think is what people think of as free will. I think people think of free will as being uh, like your consciousness sort of manufactures decisions out of the ether, not not bound by physics. But your decisions are actually literally formed between your neurons in your brain. And those neurons don't function randomly. They function according to laws of nature. They are governed by the laws of this reality that we live in. And the reality that we live in means that those neurons functioned um, deterministically, which means that they act in a certain specified way according to the laws of nature. That means if, uh, if you put input ABC in, you will always get output DEF out. And you can find trends. And that's that's and, important uh, too. And, and, and that is to say that like so so like if, if free will can't exist in the way most people think of it because our brains don't function in that way. So like this machine that spits out decisions has to exist somewhere. Where does it exist? It's either in this reality and another reality, but that's not an out because whatever the rules are of that reality would still be um, you know, uh, they would either be random or they would be um, a deterministic, deterministic just based on those rules. So it's still like not free will. It's just based on the rules of a different universe. Uh, and again, it can't be random because no one, we don't make decisions randomly. That would be the definition of like insanity. No, that would be the definition of non-consciousness. That would just be random movements. Even animals are more conscious than that, right? So, uh yeah, it's a really uncomfortable place to be if you if you think about it like that. But I also like to to put a positive spin on it. I think of like Data from Star Trek, who's one of I think maybe my favorite sci-fi character. I'm a nerd, and so I've consumed a lot of sci-fi, but I think he might be my favorite character ever. Um and you can kind of see by looking at that character how uh, how a mind that functions deterministically can still be very much conscious and can still very much make decisions and can still, and this is the important part, like when Data encounters a new situation, it can change how he thinks. It can, he can modify himself. He can modify his own programming, modify his hardware running on that objective hardware uh, according to the new situations that he encounters so that he behaves differently. And, and uh, you know, all of this stuff can still exist and certainly culpability for decisions still exists. And you know, this is not an ethical out, like you, you still yeah. own the effects of your actions. Um, but yeah, like it, it, as long as you, it's like you have to take ownership of your software in a way, like you, you're responsible for your own code. So, uh, you know, compose yourself better. You know, that's, that's kind of how I've been thinking about it lately. This is still an uncomfortable position for me, though, and I'd still like to have somebody prove me wrong, but I keep debating people, and it hasn't happened yet. So I, I will be honest. I, if you find someone, call me, because I am pretty much in the same position as you are. But I just the farther I try to dig, and I'm like, ah, I have it. And then the next thing you know, I'm just even further into the it's, there's no free will camp. But I watched a documentary from someone, a neuroscientist, talking about free will. And he said, you should treat your body almost as if it's your dog. He said you can train it, you can try to influence it, um, and if some if your dog bites someone, you're still responsible for your dog bites biting someone. You can't just say, "Well, well he's a dog; he's gonna bite things," you know. And I think uh, while that might be a bit, a little bit too out there, or maybe a little bit too far of an analogy, I think it works. I think if you're willing to run with it, it works. Um, and it's easy for people to understand. I think is important. 
maybe it is an oversimplification, but it also gives you a little bit of extra empathy. Um, I, I, and, and, and well, I mean, we can go into the nerdiness of the language, but I consider yeah. empathy to be separate from sympathy. So mm -hmm. sympathy is when you agree with somebody and like you would agree that they made the right decisions and they found themselves in the same situation. If you were in the same situation, you would have made the same decisions. That's sympathy. Yeah. Uh, that's empathy is different. Empathy is when you can realize, look, I don't agree with what your situation is and I don't agree with the decisions that you made, but you know, I feel for you. And so, uh, it, it allows you to empathize more with people uh, that, that, that end up doing bad things, which result in bad outcomes for their life. Like, and, and that's weird because I think you'd think it'd be the opposite. Like if you thought people didn't have this magical supernatural free will machine that allowed them to make decisions, like some people think that that somehow, you know, you should, you should be more empathetic. Well, that, that kind of makes less sense, right? Because if, if their decisions are being made by some source that doesn't exist in the real world well like that's closer to insanity not farther away yeah. in a way and so like you can kind of empathize with somebody that makes bad decisions more because you can realize that they're a product of a long string of some shit that that they brought on themselves but also a lot of shit that that was done to them maybe they had an abusive upbringing or an alcoholic parent or you know maybe they've got a genetic situation in their brain that makes them more violent or you know like it just it's like it it's like wow i you know if I, if, if I had been exposed to all the same circumstances that that person was exposed to, it's very possible that I would have taken the same action. You can empathize with that. Yeah. Like, like if, if I had the same genes and the same parents and the same upbringing and the same life circumstances, you know, it's possible that you could have, you would have made the same decisions. In fact, so you can, you can a little more compassion in there, I guess. Yeah. And I, that's, that's the case that Sam Harris makes all the time is that he says the next time someone like has an attitude with you and you want to tell him to fuck off. He said, just, just think like this person is obviously going through something today or, or has been, has been, has had something to affect them in some way to where this is their biological response through determinism. You know, it, it's not like he just randomly popped out of the womb one day and was like, oh, I'm going to be a salty person for the rest of my life. You know, there, there are circumstances that led to this, whether they're justifiable or not. And whether you want to say that these are more or less in this person's control, quote unquote, of their, their state, particular state of mindfulness, um, what they, whether he calls it training your brain, but the, there, there is, I think a certain amount of empathy there that can be very useful and, and very helpful when interacting with people. Something I've noticed just in my interactions is that, you know, I deal with, a lot of salty people all the time who are very upset about everything all of the time. And it's, I think it's a lot easier when I used to get very annoyed whenever they, you know, come out with this extremely pessimistic, but I don't know. It's almost given me an opportunity to step back and say, well, instead of saying this person is making this, you know, just being this salty person, which is, I, it's fair, you know, they are doing that, but why is it that way? Why are these things happening? What is, what is the root cause here? Is there anything I can do to help? You know, and it's, it's a, it's a more productive perspective in my opinion, in my opinion, some people might disagree. I mean, it's at least more, man, I keep going back here today. This is weird. Stoic. Like it's just yeah. kind of recognizing the reality for what it is and recognizing that reality allows you to deal with it with more agency. So like if, if you understand that, look, 
you know, it's somewhere between 40 and probably 75% of a person's IQ is determined genetically. And, you know, the scientists will argue on both sides, but that's kind of the range between 40 and 75, 80% of your IQ is deter determined by your genetics. Let's say it's 40%. Fine. So if 40% of your overall intelligence is determined by your genetics and not by your upbringing or, your, you know, anything within your control, then certainly 40% of your, the rest of your personality could be determined genetically. So, you know, like, like I look at my son and like, he does this, uh, he does this, um, like this hyper focus thing and this is a very characteristic of my entire life it's it's kind of like a superpower but in other ways it's like a, a vulnerability uh, it's a big problem so like uh, it's actually a symptom of uh, a different type of adhd it's like the opposite of adhd where uh, when i set my mind to something it's it's sort of like the rest of the world goes dark and i and i can concentrate and focus and formulate ideas and and come up with new ideas on whatever i'm working on better than most people I know. But while I'm doing that, literally nothing around me exists and people can talk to me and like sometimes even touch me and like, it's just this hyper-focused thing. And so I see that in my son. Well, where did he get that? Like, you know, it's <laughs> not like we, we raised him to be hyper-focused. No, like it's just, it's part of who he is. And so kind of realizing that everyone is like that, that everyone was dealt a certain circumstance that was out of their control and they're dealing with their own personal pile of shit in the world. It, it, as best they can, uh, you know, there's some empathy there. So, yeah, it's funny. We, we bring up stoicism. I'm by no means an Epicurean, but I am, I, I do enjoy his readings. It's very, like every, everybody in the chat says, it's very Zen. It's very, you know, stoicism. I, I really like his, uh, his, not his, his journal. What was it called? The, uh, thoughts of something to that effect epicurean's journal yep. that he released or that was released yeah. after his death i love his exercises is is i don't usually do them i probably should but you know comparing yourselves to your virtues making progress journaling meditation finding mindfulness i think these are things that are you know whether they have any direct correlation to the the idea of free will you, I, I still believe, and most people who I talk to about this issue, no matter how educated they are on it, still believe that mindfulness may not be free will, but it's the next closest thing. It is the best way to train your brain, to have the ability to, to, to intake and to, like you were talking about with data, to assess a situation and to sort of reprogram the factory settings a little bit. Maybe not rewrite it, but... I, I think that's sentience. Like that's like when a mind gets to the point where it can self-reflect and self-modify. I mean, that's just, that's where we are. That's great. And, and if we're not doing that, we're sort of reducing ourselves to an animal, yeah. like an, a, a state of nature, like an animalistic state where we don't have the capacity to self-reflect. Like if you're not self-reflecting, you're not living up to being a human. Like you need to slow down and design your life for many reasons. One, just because, you know, the atoms in your body are, are, unimaginably lucky out of all the atoms in the universe yours got arranged together in a way that can actually self-reflect and you're not doing it <laughs> like that, that's the ultimate universal irony like do that you're a human do it like design your life don't just live your life like decide what your life what you want your life to be and make it that way because you're the only goddamn thing in the universe that can actually do that so do it uh it's kind of pathetic if you don't um but uh well yeah that's that's kind of a weird look on things, but yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think it's accurate.
Yeah, was, I mean, it may be an odd take, but it doesn't make it any less true in my personal opinion. I don't know. I, I was in a, a, a period of, of, I was in a down not too long ago. I won't say like a depression necessarily, but I was just very, I was, I was very under motivated. I was very not, I was not happy with the way things were going in my life. I wasn't, you know, putting effort into things that felt like they weren't going anywhere. And, you know, at some point, I, you know, at first it was always like, ah, oh, well, you know, if I had only done this or if this thing had done that or if, if this was different then but at some point, you know, I was lying in my bed wallowing in my sorrows and I just said like, you, you have to go to the gym. Like, you just, you have to go to the gym. That's the first thing that we're going to do today. Accomplish that. Get that done. Okay, you're not happy with this. Why is that not happening? Fix it instead of wallowing about it. And I think that comes back to the whole perspective that we've been talking about this entire time that it's so easy to get focused. I mean, I was in this for weeks, almost like four or five weeks of just every, you know, days would just slog on. It was not fun. It was not a fun time. And that was a very severe lack of mindfulness from me, severe lack. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, and I won't get into that. But, um, you know, in hindsight, if I had come at it with the tools that I now understand even better than I did then, it wouldn't have affected me nearly to the extent that it did and i would have been a more productive person and i wouldn't have gained 10 pounds by sitting around for a month and you know it's uh i don't know these are just things and we may be getting out of activism but live your best life okay take care of yourself that that is activism <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. take take care of yourself live your best life be healthy be mentally healthy talk about your problems face your problems that's that's just some advice that i can give to everybody you know from the from the youngin over here a little bit of life advice <laughs> no and it, no that's good stuff like you can't you can't um you can't just talk about like don't hurt people and don't take their stuff like you have to teach people how to live and how to be better people all along the way it, it's like a holistic approach right we have to better ourselves for sure along the way yep it's it's like a, the whole people say this for like a relationship you know you can't you know, give your all to a relationship. If you're still working on yourself, I think that's everybody's working on themselves. If you're not, you're not like we said earlier, if, if you're not working on yourself, you can be improving and you're not, and you need to figure out why. But, um, there is a certain truth to that to where if you haven't even started and you're living your life exactly the same way you were when you were 15 and you haven't fixed any of your problems or, or grown up at all, you know, you, everybody's got some, some growing up to do. In my personal opinion, that's more personal philosophy than it is any, any necessarily hard, rigid guideline everybody should live their lives by. But that's just what I've seen, what, how I live my life. Always try to be better than you were yesterday in some way. Always try to be a little yeah, bit and better. Si and, and since we're on like hippie cerebral stuff, like <laughs> my, my favorite way to, to, to look at my life and to tell people to look at their life um, Again, credit where it's due, you know, 10-year-old Molyneux. Um, your life is like a comet, like a meteor. And you're born and you hit the atmosphere and, you know, a fiery explosion happens. And you burn through the atmosphere and then you blink out of existence. And the choice that you have is how fucking brightly you burn for that brief moment that you exist. And so you can ride your life out and you can, you know, just kind of go with the flow and just kind of exist and deal with whatever comes. 
uh, and you know you'll you'll you kind of you'll burn your way through it and you'll fizzle out. Or you can fucking set that son of a bitch off like a nuke. You can light up the ground underneath you for hundreds of miles on your way down in a way that no one ever forgets and everyone is changed by. Like, the choice is yours. You're going to exist for a brief amount of time. How brightly are you going to burn? That's, that's, that's how I try and think about life. Yeah, Quirt here says, you can't give to others fully if you're not taking care of yourself too. I think, I think that's, you know, a lot of people try to gain a sort of of uh fulfillment f directly from others and i think maybe maybe that's a part of the culture i know some people like myself i'm very much an extrovert i like communicating i get energy off of being around and talking to other people like i could do this all day i love having conversations and talking with people but they're me you too know, it, it, at the I same time life looking for conversations yeah exactly and, but at the same time you know that doesn't mean that i can just throw all of my me out of the way you you need some me time and again this is more personal than it is any sort of rigid philosophy that is based off of all of these different readers and everything but this is i found success in living this and i'd like to share it is basically all that i'm saying um especially recently found a lot of success take some you time dang it sometimes you just need a day where you just sit back and and read a book and sometimes you need a day where you have to tell yourself to stop being so freaking lazy and get something done with your life. You know, you just you just have to have that mindfulness. I've said that word dozens a dozen times at least at this point. Mindfulness, change people's lives. And you know, certain people maybe just don't want to burn brightly. They just want to enjoy their life peaceably and quietly. Yeah. And you know that's fine. Just make sure that you're. I guess the only thing I'm saying is just make sure that you're making that decision. Don't let life make the decision for you. Just decide. Like, if you just want to be comfortable and quiet, that's your life, man. You do you. Just make sure you're picking that. Not not just letting it happen to you, is what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. No, that's 100% fair. That's 100% fair. We're getting, all, we're getting all zen here. No, I mean, <laughs> you know what? It's not something I've really talked about, but it's something that has been important. It's important to me. It's something I care about. Um, you know, mental health issues. I was going to bring this up. I think we... But there's... We, I had a conversation and it was a very long conversation about like the non-aggression principle and free will and stuff like that. And we came down to this ar this argument where he just we, we we kind of hit an agreement, sort of. And it was the there was I don't remember which shooter it is off the top of my head. I, there was a mass shooter. Um, I, I don't think it was the movie theater. Uh, he was killed. Whoever this shooter was, but he had a tumor in his head. Whenever they did the autopsy on him, they had a he had a tumor in his head. And there was a point yep. to where everybody, everybody they interviewed with his family and everything was like, oh, yeah, like four months ago, he just started acting really weird. We thought it was a phase. You know, he'd get through it. Next thing you know, he shoots a place up. How much, you know, this is obviously we can we can make as many guesses as we want. But how much of that tumor had a role in his action? And if we could give him the anti-tumor pill and it's gone... How responsible is he for something he had no control over? If we've already made the assertion that the two, that, yeah, yes, yes, this tumor was the kill people tumor and it told him to kill people. It made it, he was unable to fight this compulsion. So, and I, you know, personally, I don't know if this is because I'm, I'm a wimp or whatever you want to call it, or I'm, I just don't like the idea, but I have a very difficult time saying that that person 
some, there has to be restitution for what was done. There has to be. That's just the way the world works. But to say that, like, he's directly responsible, hmm, I don't know. What, what do you think about situations like that? I'm sure you've had this thought experiment either brought to you or you've thought about it before. It's a very difficult one, in my personal opinion. I think if you have a hard-line answer either way, you've either spent way more time thinking about it than I have, or you know something I don't. So... <laughs> I mean, I think this is almost almost the same discussion as the one we had on free will. So, like, what's the difference between um, terrible genetics, a terrible upbringing that they weren't responsible for that caused them to be a broken, violent person and a tumor that caused them to be a broken, violent person? So, like, these are factors out of their control. It's also, um, it's also part of, like, let's come full circle back to liberty. So, you know, when we talk about, like, humans will always be flawed. Humans... Uh, there will always be a certain percentage of humans that are bad people or that do bad things or that are violent. That's why we can't have involuntary centralized authority structures because that is where these people will go and, and, and abuse others with those power structures. And so if we understand that, like, it's just a, it's part of the universe. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with my daughter's situation, but this is the lesson that I learned from that. So, like, she was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, about a year and a half ago. And so uh, I did a video on my channel. You can find it. You, it's very interesting when you're a YouTuber, when, when you're a YouTuber and you do philosophy, because like as you journey through life and things happen to you and you have revelations, you kind of, you make content about it to share it with other people. And so you can actually go back in time on my YouTube channel and find the video where this, re like this revelation hit me and like this realization, my life kind of changed. And this is kind of where a year and a half later, uh, you know, I'm finding myself in this, um, in this more like stoic Zen place where I'm, I'm accepting reality for what it is. Uh, this this started a year and a half ago, and you can watch that moment happen on my channel. Um, you have to realize that, like, reality is reality. This is part of life. People with tumors are part of existence. Uh, uh, little girls with cancer are part of existence. Uh, people with broken upbringings and abusive parents that generate violent humans is part of existence. Uh, you have to not only accept that it's part of existence, but to live an intelligent life, you should expect those things to be part of existence and, and plan for them. And the, the way that we appropriately plan for bad, violent people to be in existence is to not allow structures of involuntary power to exist for them to abuse us with uh, or to fail to protect us from the, the violent, evil people with. Um, you, you, uh, until we get to the point where we're like genetically engineering humans and raising people perfectly, <laughs> which you know <laughs> will never happen, it's utopian. You know, we're, it, this stuff is going to exist in reality. There will always be broken, damaged people. It's it's part of existence. Did that answer your question? No. Yeah, I think yeah, you're definitely you're you're definitely getting getting on the to the meat and potatoes of it. That the, there's yeah we and this is the same I I give this for every time I talk about the nap I try to make a point of at least sometimes going over the nap every you know however many episodes we'll talk about a specific part of it or that we'll go over like an overview again or some scenarios that I've gotten as questions I've done two of them now and every time I get these just a giant batch of hypotheticals and I always end the show by saying the same thing and it's like look 
this is the way the world is. There are always going to be situations that you've never heard of before. You've never been trained for. You've never seen coming. And it's you, you, you have the tools available to you. And you just have to at some point accept the fact that nobody. you may not have the answer in front of you, but you have to assess the situation with the information that's been given to you. And I think you can approach many different facets of life like that, including this situation. While it may seem disconnected, it may seem like it's a bit of a, of a leap to go from one to the other. It's the same concept. We're working from the fact that we are all people on this planet who are responsible for our bodies and what they do. It doesn't, you know, does it, does it suck that Home Slice has a tumor that makes him want to kill people? Yes, that sucks. I can, I can empathize with that. I am sorry. It doesn't change the fact that if you try to shoot me and you have a tumor, I'm going to defend my life. I'm not going to say, oh, he's got a tumor though. You know, I mean, that doesn't change that. So, well, what it, what it should also change though, is your expectations. Like, um, look, it's part of reality that there are people with brain tumors that might go shoot up random places in public. What should you do about that fact of reality? Well, defend you should yourself. probably carry a weapon with you just in case. Like, that's what you should do. Like, there are people out there with uh, that are violent and manipulative. What should you do about that? Well, expect to encounter some of them and be ready to deal with it appropriately. You know, so like, there, that's that's the lessons you learn. You don't um, you don't go attack a bunch of peaceful people, Beto, and disarm <laughs> them. That's the absolute opposite fucking thing you should do if you know that there's going to be violent, broken people out there. Is disarm all their victims, you fucking moron. Sorry, I really have been uh, angry about this guy lately. I can but um, cannot stand him. The thing you do is expect that to happen again, and to have people be able to prepare for it. That's what you do. <laughs> it's it's obvious. It's obvious. Yeah. Okay. So this, I if you have time, I'd like to open up one more can of worms. It kind of brings in everything that we've been talking about, and is one of my hot topic issues that I just love getting into. And that is, there is. We're going to bring us all the way back to the beginning, talking about promoting libertarianism. There is, and I think there's a lot of merit to this idea of minimizing police interaction inside of, of voluntarist communities and circles, right? So if you were to get into a car accident, you would, instead of calling the police immediately, you would try to resolve things amicably, amicably amongst, you know, you as, as independent people. Um, and before I go off and get inevitably get in my tirade now that we're talking about this, why don't you go ahead and tell me what you think about minimizing involvement with police i'm pretty sure i know where I you mean, stand like, but <laughs> the the general rule is i don't call the cops unless somebody deserves to be murdered <laughs> but, but no that is not a blanket statement so like um i was in a car accident a while back and this happened to me this would be a perfect counter example of when i should have called the cops and didn't uh the the guy ran a red light t-boned me and then um because there was no police report on file he later lied to his insurance company and and uh, ended up suing me uh, for his damages. It was just like a blatant falsehood. If I had had a cop there with a police report, they would have had documentation of what happened. You know, like they would have, there would have been a paper trail that I could have used to defend myself using this bullshit legal system that holds the bad guys, you know, as good guys. So I can't make a blanket statement that you should never call the cops because there's certainly circumstances in this broken ass system where you, you're going to need to play the game defensively that's sometimes. a very controversial position though for some people 
especially in voluntary circles, that's, that can be very... And I'm not saying I disagree with you. I don't want to give off that idea, but I'm sure you've gotten, yeah. even just for that perspective, a fair amount of pushback. Uh, I mean, another example. I, I, I'll, I'll, just, I'll pick whatever side you're not on just so that we mm -hmm. have a good conversation because I can argue both. But just to give you another example of when I did call the cops, I had a rental car. And I was in a grocery store parking lot and somebody, I, I was parked, I was not in the car. And as I'm walking back to the car, you know, a little old lady parks in the spot and hits the car. Like she, you know, I guess misjudged her parking job because little, little old lady, they can't drive as well, whatever. Hit the fuck out of the rental car. So um, I am now in a situation where I'm in possession of somebody else's property that I'm renting. And they're normies. They're certainly not anarcho-capitalists. And they're going to, they have certain expectations on how I handle their property for them. So I had the cop come and do a report just so that, uh, you know, CYA for the insurance company and CYA for me with the insurance company, or sorry, with the rental company's property. Um, did I like doing that? Hell no. Like if I call, there's always a chance, it seems these days that I call the cops for the, for the rental company and I get shot for some stupid reason. Like, you know, I, I, I've open carried my pistol every day of my life since it became legal, legal in Texas. Um, and so th there's always chances of random things happening. So yeah, that I'm, I'll, I'll pick whatever side you want me to take, but that's, uh, th there are circumstances. I will not make a blanket statement. It's a judgment call for you and your life. Just a quick tangent real quick. You said you open carry, you yeah. Is that is that like an exercise of rights thing or do you do you do so based off of like a defense like do you do you believe it deters people? Just I don't want to make a whole big thing out of this. No. This. Yeah, no. Yeah, I get asked this all the time by everybody. Uh, I open carry as a as a method of activism to help okay. normalize, you know, the culture around guns. Like if if people see a family guy with two kids and a wife going to a restaurant and the guy's open carry, you know, oh, he's he's not a an evil scary person. Uh, you know, look, he's got he's there with his kids and his wife, and and there's a gun. You know, every, yeah. I, so, thousands of impressions throughout my life of people seeing a normal, peaceful person uh, openly carrying a weapon. If I'm ever in a situation in which I feel unsafe, I conceal carry <laughs> immediately because I think it's tactically the better option. But you know, most of my life, I'm not in scary or dangerous areas, so I, I open carry for activism. I've been considering it now that I'm coming back to Texas, and it'll the open carries passed. But um, I don't know. You know, I am a part of that demographic of most likely to shoot up a random building. So maybe that's not the best idea for me to do that. But um, why? You have a tumor? No, I I'm a I'm a young uh, Caucasian male, oh, and that yeah it makes oh, yeah. so. I you know yeah. I I always think about whether I'm you know I love the idea. I love the idea of the activism of just carrying it because I can because I'm not going to hurt anybody and it shows like. Wow, I wasn't shot by that guy with a gun, um, but yeah, and he was a nice guy. Yeah, exactly. You you also have to elevate your behavior. Yeah, oh, one hundred percent. Because everybody takes literally everything you do a hundred times more seriously than you intend it. You know, it's like you can never really show anger at all. What's Otherwise, posturing? suddenly you're a crazy person with a gun. You know. Yeah. Once once you have that <laughs> gun on your hip, you're posturing. You yeah. you have the power yeah. play right there. So yeah, um, it can be. Uh, you know, and that's another thing too. I don't want to come off to somebody as like a threat and I, I'm just as capable of defending myself with it in a concealed carry holster as I am with it on my hip. So, but it's something no, I was just curious. Listen, like the whole point of the activism is because mm -hmm. of that feeling that you're describing yeah. that discomfort at open carrying is the reason I open carry to make people 
less uncomfortable with seeing people with guns. This used to be normal life in the West, like yeah. in in uh, you know in every Western, everybody's got a pistol on their hip. This is normal. This is not strange. This is just a person carrying the tools that they need of self-defense. Well, even and so, it's it's that's the activism is the point. It wasn't that long ago when gun racks in your truck were common. I mean, heck, my right. grandfather still has one, but. You know, I mean, he would talk about every, everybody, you know, everybody kept their, their shotgun and their hunting rifle in the back of their truck ready to go whenever they needed it. Just reach over. And, but even now, if, if you were driving down the road and, and Mary Sue with her, you know, her Green New Deal sticker on her car sees your gun rack, they're, they're going to freak out. I just know it. Yep. I know they're going to freak yep. out. Well, I mean, I've, I've gone three years and I've only had two incidents and they were both very mild. I had, uh, and and I think it was both times it was out of towners. So it was Christmas time. So I think we had some visitors from another state. I went to a restaurant. It was a steakhouse, and this lady, um, to like, left her family to walk up and get in my space, to tell me I don't feel safe right now. Like, first of all, <laughs> me neither. If you're really scared of the guy with a gun. You don't walk up into his face and, like, start telling him that you don't like what he's doing. Like, obviously you feel safe, otherwise you wouldn't do that, you idiot. Mm -hmm. but no, like, that that was the worst that's ever happened. Um, the, the only other time, you know, it was just, it was something along those lines. Like, somebody that was probably from out of town. But literally, like, over three years of my life now, I think. Every day of my life, I have no issues whatsoever. Well, that's reassuring. That's cool. I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> um... But yeah, so to get back to where we were going, and maybe, you know, this is kind of, they're, they're related. Firearm ownership and, and interactions with police have always been very, you know, it's a touchy subject to be sure, because it immediately puts law enforcement on edge. But I usually take the position of the moment you call law enforcement for anything, you have escalated the situation to the fullest extreme you have brought Certainly. this strong arm of the law so even if it is you know cya and i can i can totally understand the rationale of uh this lady hit my rental car i need this covered because i'm not about to be screwed for the damages to this rental car i wish there was another option because i hate well, the idea in that situation yeah. i was doing it like on behalf of rental company like mm -hmm. the rental company would want me to have the police called for to for their property and, right? so. and you as a representative of their wishes by the contract you know and stuff like that for yeah. renting that that may, you could make a contract law case there i guess yeah that that's fair um because i'm sure there's something on there about if the vehicle's damaged this is the procedure so um mm -hmm. but you know that that's the first thing that comes to my mind because i've seen i've seen police be called over little things like oh kids are playing in the street better call the cops i'm like what are you what are you doing yeah. like you've literally yeah. gone to the max like nah don't go talk to their parents don't be like hey like this is maybe unsafe there's cars coming through here like let's just you know try to keep them out of the streets and then you just go yeah. straight to like all right let's go get the guys with the guns who can throw them in jail that just seems yep it's it's inappropriate in my personal belief and it's an abuse of power in it's it's wanton it's dangerous it's reckless it's uh uh excessive yeah all these adjectives for sure yeah so that, that's usually i won't say never call the police especially now nowadays when we don't have like a private option that it can be held accountable if we did i would say never never call the government police again but 
but well, you also have a legal system that uh, is perverted by the influence of a centralized authority, like a monopolized justice system. So, you know, for example, with the with the wreck that we had in the street, you know, I I didn't call the cops like I should have, and so I didn't get the magical documents bearing the magical uh, blue line gang cartels, uh, you know, logo on it that would have kept me from getting sued by the guy that hit me. Um, the, the, the re, this monopolized justice system is not something I consent to, obviously. It's, uh, it's kind of a defensive act. I should, I, if I had it to do over, I would call the, the blue line cartel. So, you know, um, maybe, maybe I really hate calling them. It's not like, like I, I triple think it every time I do it. Yeah. Like we had a, a neighbor, uh, like cops showed up to a neighbor because somebody called them about something. And, um, you know, I had to go over afterwards because after the cops show up at, at your door and you know that your so one of your neighbors called them uh, and sent them to your house, I, like, made a point to go over and be like, look, I did not fucking call the cops. Like, that was not me. I would never do that to you. <laughs> Just because, like, it ra you know, and now suddenly they're suspicious of all their neighbors. And now, like, you know, there's less uh, friendliness in the neighborhood because somebody's calling the cops on people around here. Um, yeah, it's I, I avoid it at all costs. At almost all costs. I think it's accessibility is a hindrance to the idea of voluntary interactions between people. I think, think the, the, that, I think that's a fair way of, of putting my position. It's accessibility makes it too easy to jump the gun and to get your way in, volunt in otherwise voluntary interactions with people. Because the second you put the law in, in, and you, you threaten people with death or jail... You have escalated the situation, and most of the time, there's no longer a fair statement of compliance anywhere in there because they are under threat. They are being coerced, and it's not, it's not ethical. It's not. It's really not. Um, it's a power play, Yes, basically. but, you know, just, just to debate you on it, I, the nuanced counterpoint is that you don't have a voluntary uh, dispute resolution process to help you or to back you up in these situations, and so... Um, you know, it's forcibly monopolized against your consent. So, you, I mean, sometimes you have to act defensively using the only system you're allowed by force to use. Yeah, is... I, I mean, I, I, will, I would concede in this exact day and age, you know, we're, we're not going to play the theory, and, you know, and Kapistan game that, you know, whatever. We'll get there when we get there. But today it is monopolized. I still would encourage the most extreme discretion like if you can oh, come yeah. to an yeah. amicable i'm not arguing with you on yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> if you can come to an amicable resolution without involving the police there's no reason to get the police involved if that guy hits you and was like oh my god i'm so sorry here's six thousand dollars or however much you assess the damages to be boom cool whatever that could be done in my opinion right there some people may no you just got to go to jail for this or whatever like you know Whatever, however you want to address the situation. But as long as you can, if you can do so, I mean, hell, that's that's pretty freaking anarchist voluntarist in my personal opinion. So it's a lot better than uh, yeah, like I, I said, yeah, it, yeah. It can go really well too. Like I, I another guy, you know, hit me. This was before I was an anarchist even, and uh, he asked me not to call the cops and promised to pay. And you know, being maybe naive or not that I was, uh, I trusted him and I went and got an estimate for the damages and I gave him the estimate and he gave me the cash. 
no government involved, no insurance companies involved. It was a cash transaction, all done, you know? So I got my car fixed. It was great. Can you trust people to do that? Hell no. <laughs> but yeah. it turned out well in that situation, so. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's true. Uh, and even then, like you said, it's, it's monopolized. So there's, it's not like you could create, you could draft up contracts or something because they'd have to be legally binding to the current justice system. And they'd be like, well, why didn't you get involved with us to begin with? And so there's, there's no blah, blah, blah. It would just be a total And then you mess. say, well, I don't like you guys. I think you're evil. And then they don't really help you anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Usually doesn't go too well. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yep. Uh, what, and I guess same thing, the whole monopolized justice system enforcement, etc. Let's talk just briefly about the, 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 there's, I, there's not really a very many of them, but I've come in, into contact in Texas with some people who hunt and fish without licenses. And they, you know, they do so because they're, they're protesting the idea of a hunting and fishing license. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why I, not? Okay. I didn't know if there is a position that some people have taken that says that like of all of the things to be like trying to get in trouble for and trying to get fined over and have the government put violence on. I'm not saying I agree with this, but I just you never know. Some people have interesting perspectives. That, that's that, somebody's hill to die on. That's interesting. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I that's that's the way I see it is that, you know, they're, they're I just felt like I would ask because I've run into it before. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't have an issue with it. You're not going to see me coming out there asking, hey, you if got you're an license. agorist fisherman, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That kind of comes back to agorism. Actually, it comes directly back to agorism. So that's fair. Yep. I mean, the, the land is uh, quote unquote public, which is, you know, public property is an invalid form of property. So it's, you know, yeah. closest thing you can get to unowned land. You want to go yank some fish out of the water? Go for it. Whatever. I mean, there's no ethical case to be made against that. You brought up the idea of unknown land, and again, this is something that we could go super far into, and I know it's a tangent, but this is something I've been thinking about for a while as well. Um, there has been a proposal, and I think, the, like, if we were to have Ancapistan tomorrow, snap our fingers, I think the redistribution or distribution of land would be the most contentious part of the whole thing because it's like who gets all of this federal owned land that makes up like 70% of the or 60% of the US and there's this idea of like oh it would be unowned land and you'd go out and claim it and I, I don't know have you have you ever thought about this idea before because to me it seems to be one of the biggest hurdles for moving towards a total voluntary privatized society like you can't philosophize midstream on it so you have to give you have to set up the entire state of the of the universe really to decide how you would hope that would work. Exactly. So like, I mean that's, you know, that's the issue you can, that I find. If you change enough if you change enough hearts and minds, like we said, you ignore the government out of existence. The government just stops exerting control over the unowned land. People can go homestead it as normal. Um it's only like in situations where there's some kind of abrupt, you know, or revolutionary type uh uh transition that it really becomes i think more contentious mm -hmm. you know like like if the if the government's ignored out of existence the way it works is like um you know people start paying their taxes i said paying taxes i never said <laughs> oh no. no if if people stopped being taxed 
no one pays their taxes. Taxes are extorted and taken by force. So if you know, if people just start ignoring that more and more, then the government, the people that work for the government, have less resources to go and patrol and enforce their ownership, quote unquote, ownership over national parks and such. And so you know, as as part of the process of ignoring the government out of existence, maybe somebody goes and decides to live on a national park, and they probably get ignored by the the people in government because they're being ignored out of existence and have better things to worry about. You know, that's probably closer to how it would go uh, in that scenario. But like in an abrupt scenario, like where... Exactly. Like a, how do you theory craft like, something like that? You know, like if Kokesh wins the presidency <laughs> and dissolves the government, you know, like yeah. he's got he's got a whole plan for auctioning off blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think any of that's plausible. I don't see it going well. Is basically I had that question posed to me before and then I didn't have so i was just fishing maybe seeing if you had some brilliant answer that i didn't but uh that's basic i pretty much said the same thing honestly is it i hell if i know if that situation ever comes to be we've got a host of other problems to go with it so i don't know if land redistribution will be the or distribution will be the first thing on my mind in that situation but uh sure it's it's a fair it's a fair idea to think about something for you boogaloo types to think about mm, what are you gonna do with all that land <laughs> yep well i think um, I think we've had a great conversation. It's been almost about two, two hours and 15 minutes now. Pretty good. Uh, it, the, the AC in my room is not working. If you can't tell I'm sweating bullets, it's like 81 degrees in here. And, uh, uh -oh. yeah, I got to go figure out what's up with this, but this has been fantastic conversation. Um, the chat, thank you guys all for being here, Patrick. Uh, everybody can find you over at Disenthrall for YouTube and Facebook on Not Governor Patrick Smith. And is there anything else important that I'm missing? You can find all my stuff on, uh, if you go to the website, disenthrall.me slash platforms. You can find all the places that we post our content. Um, we also have the notgovernor.com page if you want to go check out the uh, Declaration of Individual Independence, which I think is a, a really powerful document for the people that, um, especially for like the the people that believe in the founding fathers, and they have a lot of like emotional respect for the ideas of the founding fathers. It's a really powerful document, good for sharing. I think, um, yeah. And so I, I I basically do as much content as I possibly can, given life situations. If you ever have something you want me to discuss or talk about, um, you know, send it my way and or join our Discord server. We have a bunch of great volunteers there that debate like every day of the year and have some amazing conversations. So uh, there's a link to our Discord on that disenthrall.me slash platforms page as well. Fantastic. Yeah, we I've been I've been looking at getting you on the show for a while now and I finally was like, all right, we're gonna contact this guy. We're gonna get him on here because I like the way he thinks and I feel like we'd have a good talk. So um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did because it was a blast. Oh, I, um, I had a great time. If, yeah. if you'd let me, I'd probably post a copy of this uh, on our YouTube channel. Yeah, so sure. I'll definitely to your show as well. Yeah, I'll definitely shoot it your way and uh, we can do that. Um, that sounds good. I just have to, I'll edit off the little countdown timer I put in the beginning for my live streams and I'll, and I'll shoot a copy of it over towards you. So, uh, all right. Well, for the people on my channel watching this, why don't you give a shot? Do your stuff. Oh, sorry. Uh, you cut out there for just a second. What was that? I, I was saying for the people that are going to later be watching this on my channel, on my platform, why don't you give a shout out of where they can your Okay, yeah. Uh, so, name's Christian. I host Liberty After Dark, which is this a live stream and a podcast. The podcast is available all over. 
uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Podbean, CastBox, wherever you want to find it, you can find this podcast. Uh, it's free, available to everybody. Usually it takes just under a week for the episodes to get rolled out in the podcast format. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, maybe four to five days, it'll be available as a podcast. Uh, I also have an email at contact at libertyafterdark.net that gets tons of emails. So go ahead, feel free, add to it. I read every single one of them. I reply to most, unless it's very mean, and I won't reply to you. So <laughs> that's pretty much all I've got for me. All right. Well, I had, a, I had a good time. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You have a nice rest of your night. Yeah, you too. Bye. All right. That was the wonderful Patrick Smith. Absolutely fantastic human being. Uh, cool guy. Great stuff. I enjoyed it. Oh, my God. My little thermostat over there, it said 81 a second ago. It's at 82 now. It is 82 freaking degrees in this room. Oh, I'm dying. It's hot in here. So, whoo, man. I got to figure out how I'm supposed to get a two and a half hour long video over to Patrick. No. But we'll see. Well, we'll make it work. Um, anybody have anything before I wrap up the show since I just gave an outro? I'll give you like 10 seconds to type something. And then I'm leaving. Because, God, it's hot. I got to open up a window. It's cooler outside than it is here. You can do it. Thank you. Uh, can you guys not see this? Seriously? Look at how shiny my face is. Look at... Oh, it's so shiny. We love you. Well, I love you guys too. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your night. This is it for Liberty After Dark. Take it easy. Take a shower, you nasty. I will. <laughs> Bye.